ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. So we're on with the one and only Mr. Paul Medell. Paul, thank you for uh, the time this evening, man. I'm excited to talk elk with you and get excited listening to you talk elk. How are we doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing just fine. Thanks a lot for having me on, guy. Hey, hey, no problem at all, man. You know, it's always a good day when you're going to talk about elk, especially in uh, April, April 1st. <laughs> you know, it's about the only thing that gets us through. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, it's a progression of uh, and a process of listening to things like this and then, you know, getting your gear ready. But these stuff like this will help to get our mind ready. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know elk is elk is a huge mind game i mean it is it, in in my opinion in the woods on the mountain it is the biggest mind game that i've ever partaken in you know mm-hmm. it's just just a phenomenal pursuit man so let's let's kick it off and what about elk right i mean you've been in the game for a long time you were a pioneer in terms of elk instruction and and bringing this to the masses but, and I've said it to you a couple times and you've heard it before, your passion in it. What about elk keeps you driven through the years and delivering this information to everybody and, and staying excited about it? Man, yeah, that's a, that, you know, that's a big question, you know, and, and it's a good question because I don't know if I would have had the same answer 20 years ago, you know, but as you get older and you kind of reflect back on things, and, and, and you see some of the accomplishments of helping others and seeing where they started in the beginning and where they're at today. And, and even where I'm at today, you know, I'm, I'm learning things every year. You're learning things every year. Everybody I talk with are learning new things all the time. And even when you think you know a lot of stuff 
and then a year goes by and, and, and you've just added something to it and another year and another year. And so it's the growth uh, of it all. And, and, and it's the challenge of elk hunting these days because I'm a big over-the-counter hunter. I, I, I will hunt over-the-counter every year. It's really, to me, it's it's a true challenge. And I think a lot of people will hunt a few years of o, o, OTC, you know, over-the-counter. And then they get tired of it. And they get tired of it because they have bad results. They don't get tired of being around elk and hearing elk bugle. Me, that's one of my big driving forces is, is to hearing elk bugle and i can't wait to hear my next one i've heard thousands and thousands of them over the years but it's something that never gets old so that drives me right there it's not only a personal thing of being able to hunt with my son and to get out there and and enjoy the challenges i don't look at them as just challenges i enjoy them i i, I want the challenge I don't want to be the guy that says, well, I'm going to go to Arizona every year and call eight bulls in a, a day and, and pass all of them until I find, you know, it's, that's not over the counter hunting, <laughs> you know, it's right. not even close. So it's sweet when somebody does gather a, a tag like that, but all in all, I, I think it's the challenge of the hunt and, and, and just the vocalization with elk that has kept me going from the beginning all the way to the end. And like I said, you just don't get, you don't get so tired of hearing a bugle. You just don't get home and say, I've heard so many. I'm tired. I don't want to hear another one. Those words are never spoken. So, you know, for me, it, it's kind of a, a complete package of not just helping others and hearing bugle and learning. It, it's all of it. It's not an isolated, you know, one thing only. So when you say that, it it, it just came to me. I mean, it struck me right away. With, but I mean, not even just with the bugles, right? But each, even the in, the real inaudible sound each bugle or each glunk or each rake it presents a new challenge a new opportunity can i figure this out um and and you and i had talked about we had talked about it uh last week uh and and we started talking about hang-ups right and and can i and it really made me rethink myself my approach and how i the the verbiage i use right can i not hang up right these these challenges are are just different with each and every you know if it's four 400 yards away and you're hearing that high pitch tone of that locate uh that's a new challenge man it's just phenomenal i'm smiling ear to ear right now thinking about it <laughs> yeah there are things we all uh come up against every year there uh, no question about it and when people start realizing there's an emotion or an emotional tone to a sound, whether it's a bull or a cow, they start realizing that these tones or these emotions can change in length or in volume or cadence. And that's what changes the message right there. So let's let's dive into the mind of Mr. Medell over the years. And, and, and you've, I'm, I'm sure you've gotten thousands upon thousands of, of positive feedback. And I'm sure that the guy, there's guys and gals that have struggled with it over the years, the best you can. What, what has been the top three mistakes or hangups on our end that you've heard repeatedly that it seems like we have a hard time getting around as, as elk hunters? Well, no, no doubt. Number one, because the game changer for me was understanding elk sounds. That was the game changer. And I don't mean just listening to a cow call or a bugle, but I mean understanding the variety of different sounds you'll hear from a bugle or a cow call. Though, to me, those are those are game changer things. Number two, one of the worst mistakes people make, without a doubt, is their setup. People don't know how to set up. It's horrible. 
most people are horrible at setting up. And I'm and I'm referring to that. I've taken over a couple hundred people out over the years and people just don't get it. They don't understand how to set up for an elk or where to set up. And you heard the, you've heard it a hundred times. Oh, they set up behind things because they don't want to be seen, so they don't can't draw. And there's, excuse me, there's no avenues. You know, those are the simple things. But more 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 than that is hearing an elk or or knowing where you're expecting him to come from. And if you do it right, and I, I can't emphasize this enough, if you do a setup and your calling strategy correctly, you will hardly ever, ever have a cow, an elk come in downwind. They just don't do it. They come the shortest route, and that direction may not be straight in front of you because you're working them to the left or to the right of center. So it's it's that direction, you know, where – and a lot of times the reason there's a left or right and not always center is because the wind – is everything. So your setup is according to the wind and everybody talks about the wind, but to me, that's just a no brainer. You know, you have to have the wind. I mean, that's all there is to it. it. Regardless of your setup or your calling or how great you are, you have to have the wind no matter what, but you got to have good calling and understand it. You have to under, when I say good calling, I don't mean champion elk stage. sounds, right? Yeah. Stage, stage sounds. I don't care about that. It's, it's having the right response back. No matter how good or bad you are, it's the correct response. And it doesn't mean only one response will fit the bill. Not at all. The, you know, elk can talk a lot of different ways. And, and so can we, whether you start with a grunt or start with a chuckle, you know, that's just one thing. Whether you you have a high note bugle pitch or you start with a really quick aggressive one, it all depends on the situation you're in. And, 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 and then, you know, as a caller, you expect to hear a, a certain thing back. So given the right sounds and, 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 and having a good setup and then being able to read the situation. So you have those three things. Now, let's say you have a, you did the calling, right? Your setup is great. And now the third thing is reading the situation. What does that mean? What if the elk is calling you to him? You have this great setup. Well, you have to change your strategy in your head. Immediately, you got to go, this elk is calling me to him. I've called back twice now. He hasn't moved. He's not going to come. That's it. He's not coming. I have to go to him. He's telling me to come up there. And so you, you're, you're reading the situation after you realize this is what's happening. So if you don't come, who's hanging up? You are. Not the bull. That's how. That's all there is to it. You are hanging up. You not. You are. You are not doing what he's asking you to. And so you have to read those things when you're out there. And and this is especially important on over the counter hunts where these things are pressured and, and beat up daily. It's not the same as if you have a hunt where elk see few to no people a year and it's a great tag you drew, you can get away with just murder out there. You can make any elk sound and, and, and they've never been burned or rarely. And so it's not a problem if, if you, you know, you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's, it's not that big a deal. And so, but, but over the counter hunts, you start messing up and they read through and, and, and you might as well sign imposter right across it because they read it so fast. They've been burnt too many times. So you don't have that luxury of, of having those mistakes. And, and, and that's why it's great if people will cut their teeth on a plenty of over the counter hunts and try and get that good vibe of how it works. And then if you do draw a good tag, at least you're prepared. You can handle almost anything then because it's not as hard. 
that's just all there is to it. You know, unless you're just really picking, you're passing a lot of bulls. But but to me, those are the three main things that can make or break a hunt. They can't read it. Their setups are horrible even when they do read it or the sounds they respond back with or start with are inappropriate for the situation they're in. And, and again, those are three problems, but those same three can be turned into positives if you follow uh, the proper sequence for each one. So it's not all negative here. So, so walk us through, walk us through that, right? Say a guy, you know, is, is deep in a sound. He's not, or deep in a sign, excuse me. And, and he's not really hearing anything. And then all of a sudden he gets one cracking off, you know, a few hundred yards away. Um, he's playing the wind. He's on a bench. He gets within that, you know, hundred yard mark, that red zone. And, uh, that bull holds up. Um, what's the next play on that? Well, it, it it all depends on the time of day. Is he in his bedding area? Is he in the feeding area? Is he in transition to or from? Is he in between them? And so, you know, to me, I, I have to know where that bull is. Is he still on the move? And I can try to play him all I want, and he keeps moving. Or is he going to? Or is he where he wants to be the rest of the day? So you know, that's that's reading the situation. That's that's the hunter evaluating what he's up against and how to deal with it. If if it's at daylight, which you don't mention what time it is, I know he's in his feeding area, and there's a good chance I can keep him there and control the situation if I need to. I can't control the situation very well at all if he's in transition. If he's left the feeding area, whether he's alone or with cows, it's 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 a real iffy. It's a 50-50. Does it mean you can't call him in? Yes. Does it mean you can't call him in at all? No. You know, it's a it's a it's a juggling act because you don't know where his mindset is in, in as far as rut writing goes. Is he just going nuts or is he just barely bugling? So, you know, to say, oh, he sounded off. If I think he's in the bedding area, let's say you you gave me that question and it's uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, 930, whatever. I know he's either in it or very near it. Now, if he sounds off, let's say he sounds off three times from a similar area. That tells me he's not on the move. Okay, this bull is settling in. Is he laying down? Probably not. But the point is, is he's going to be within earshot of you for the next seven hours. <laughs> he's just not going anywhere unless you push him out of there by him seeing you or his cow seeing you or he wins you. So see, I, I'm looking at the playing field. What do I have to deal with here? So now I know I got him. I've got him where I want him. He's at his destination. Now I'm going to see from his reaction to a sound or two how he responds or if he doesn't respond at all. This will allow me to know if he is really aggressive, I am going to go into a challenging to advertising mode in his area and suck him right out because he's either going to be defensive because he doesn't like this bull in his area or he has cows. He may have both. So I, I have a really good uh, idea that he's going to come in. Now, if he's not ha answering anything, hardly nothing, I can cow call, I can bugle when he's not saying anything. I already know I'm going to go to the slow play on that bull. No, no question about it. But what if this bull sounds off a few times and two or three others sound off in the vicinity within 300 yards or closer of them? I know I'm going to probably go to the breeding sequence if I want to kill one of the satellites. I cannot go to the breeding sequence in that situation and expect to kill the herd bull. So you see, you're, there's a, there's a reading the situation, you, and you're all you're going to have to read the situation on every elk encounter. So so 
guys need to understand, guys and gals need to understand that reading the situation isn't only uh, under this uh, encounter or this one or this one. It's on all of them. You have to read it. So you know what to do next strategy wise. And strategy usually comes from your gut. Gut comes from past experiences, what have worked and what have failed. So you understand the encounter you're in, and now you start playing that encounter. If you start saying, I'm a one-dimensional hunter and I'm going to be aggressive uh, on every bull, you might as well rephrase that and say, I'm going to be recklessly aggressive and hope something no, and something sticks to the wall. Instead of fine-tuning it and go, okay, this is what's going to work for this bull. I have to go to a breeding sequence to try to kill one of these others because I can't get on the herd bull because of the wind. But I can attack one of these. Now, if everything is good and I need to get to the herd bull, now I'm changing my strategy. I'm not going to use a breeding sequence to go to the herd bull. and It's going to work. He ain't going to come. He's not going to leave his, his hot cow to come and push me away when he's not going to go push those other two or three bulls away. So see, that's what I'm trying to say. He's not going to do that. So you have to reframe your strategy, how you're going to go in and challenge this bull. You're going to go in kind of with a full send type challenge, get right in his face. You see, those are the things that you start. Everything gets kind of runs through your mind. What's going to give me the best odds to pull him in? So in the situation you're talking, I probably would go in and start with an advertising, a new bull in his area, because a lot of bulls will not go for the fact that there's a, another bull inside their piece of real estate. Oh, yeah, bulls, they'll take that piece of real estate and they will guard it. As a matter of fact, many times they will make rounds in the morning, early in the morning, almost daylight. They will make rounds around the area that they are protecting and they'll walk around it and bugle all the way around the parameter. And then they go back. And, and so, you know, not every bull will do this because of the fact that the seasons change as cows come into heat, their mindset is different. They don't want to leave that hot cow. You see different things come into play. Uh, are they betting along? Are you hunting a lot of open country? If you are, they can go anywhere from a uh, half a mile to two, three miles away to bed. Are you hunting a, a lot of dark timber? If you are, there's a good chance that they can be hit. They can be heard 24-7. They're never out of that area where, they, where, where they're not within earshot. You know, so everything you're evaluating. And, and as an elk hunter, it comes naturally to me now. When I'm out there, it's just like, boom, okay, I'm hunting this kind of terrain that I know right now this bull isn't going very far away. I've got him right in here. And, and, and I can control the situation. But if it's more open, I know I'm going to have to dog him to get him to where he wants to be, where my odds rise, you know, dramatically. Once he gets to his destination, I can work him. I know you probably didn't ask that much, but I just, my wheels, my wheels get spinning and, and I have to make sure I, I cover all the parameters. There's not like, all you have to do is this. Well, I wish there was, it'd make hunting a lot e easier for elk, but it's not. You read things and then you adjust and adapt to that situation. And that is why we call in 80, 85% of the bulls we target. And that's it right there. It's it, and, and even I could even say 100%. I'm not kidding you. If I target a bull, I'm telling you right now that he's in trouble because I know what I'm doing with him and I know what to expect. And, and unless something sees me that I didn't even know there was a cow or a spike or something over there because I had tunnel vision on him. His When I say him, I never see the elk I hunt. I mean, I'm talking when I say never, I mean 99% of the elk I hunt, I never see him. I only hear them. And, and, and so it's, it, it, I, you can get that tunnel vision really easy because you're going by sound. And 
course, over the years, you realize there can be some interruptions from the outsides where there are other elk. So you have to really keep your 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 mind and your eyes honed to not just the sound, but everything around a perimeter because I've been burned so many times. And so, I mean, it just happens, you know, that's part of hunting. But it's it, 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 that's one of the challenges. And, and when you accept that challenge and, and you can beat it, it's just that much sweeter. <laughs> so, so you brought up quite a few things there. But so one of my one of my hang ups, right, not the Elks hang up, my, my hang up is uh, I was here in Colorado, OTC, and I'm hunting a transition area. Right. And I'm and I'm in my elk hunting infancy and. I mean, I'm working, I think I'm working this transition area, right? But I can't figure out for the life of me why I can't get this elk to come back to me, right? And I mean, it was literally, you know, 20 days in the woods, come home, I'm sitting on the couch a day after I get back and I lift my head up and I start laughing. I'm I'm hunting on a freeway and they're going from point A to point B and I'm trying to get them to come down, come up, turn around, come back to me in a transition. And, and, and the entire time, I was so focused in on there's elk here that I wasn't paying attention to that. Um, man, what a smack in the face uh, when you when you realize it after the fact. It was uh, <laughs> it was a rough one. Um, well, it sounds like they were going somewhere. You yes. know, if they're in transition, they're going from you know feeding to bedding or bedding to feeding. If it was morning or evening, I don't know. But I mean, that's what they're doing. And so to get to to get an elk to come back where it just came from. Uh, it's really hard to do. It really is because they, they have this destination in mind. And usually if there's cows involved, they're leading the way anyway. And the last thing that bull's going to do, I don't care how sweet your cow call is or how mean your bugle is, he doesn't want to come back. Listen to a sound and you're going to tell what's on his mind. So let's say you get over there and you cow call and this bull's still 200 yards ahead of you. And he's in transition. He's moving. Listen to the sound he gives you back, and you're going to tell if he's coming or not. And most of the time, you're going to just – here's what you're going to hear. I'm going to go ahead and give the sound. Let's say you cow called, all right? And here is a very popular sound that you will hear from a bull as he asks you to come over or catch up with the herd. So you have to listen to him. And that's what I'm talking about, reading a situation. You're going to hear a sound, something like this right here. That's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear the short little bugle. You're going to hear some chuckles on it. And he's telling you to come over. Okay. That's exactly what he's doing. And that's what that sound represents when you're in the woods. If anytime you call a cow or a bull from a distance, especially with cow calls. You're going to get a response similar. Sometimes when bulls are more laid back, they may just give you the chuckle. And, and other times when they call you, they may go like this. That's about all he'll do. But see, why – if they both mean the same thing, why – what is the difference between one and the other? The one I just gave you is more lethargic, more lazy. If you want to come up here, here we are. Da, da, da. The first one with chuckles isn't isn't saying that. He's telling you to come on up. He wants you to come join the. You know he, he's more into the rut mode. His testosterone level is much higher than the last bull. I, the one I did second there. So you that's what you're reading. You're going okay. This guy's getting pumped. Okay, this guy's excited about this cow. What is he telling me to do? Come on up there. 
Now, you could do the same calling, and he could repeat it, and he's still there. He's waiting for you to come. He expects a cow that's in the real world there to come just like she should. So you have to go to him. If you don't and you sit back and you try to throw out all these wonderful cow calls and even a bugle to try to antagonize him, in most cases he won't buy it, And if, especially if there's distance between you. Now, if you're 60, 70 yards away and it's thick timber, that's wonderful. What if you're 60, 70 yards and it's open? He can look through the opening. He ain't coming if he don't see no elk. So, you know, you're, you're reading everything. You have to time your ta- your, yourself when you do the calling. So, so you, the, everything has to be in your favor if he's going to come back to you. In, this, in most of those cases, you got to go to him. You have to go to him. Now, if you were using a bull sound and, he's, and he does this right here. He is not inviting you over. He's telling you to stay back. Stay back. And you bugle back. He bugles back. And you're still there. He's there. What are you doing? You're doing exactly what he asked you to do. You're not, you're not pushing him. You're staying back. He's going to do this to all the satellites, and he'll warn them. And a lot of times a hunter will just stay there at that 150 yard, and they'll be hammering, and they'll get in this big engagement and screaming match. And whatever, what usually happens, bull wins, hunters lose. I mean, you just can't overcome that by going tit for tat because he's telling you to stay back and you're actually doing what he's asking you. So you got to close that distance really quick on him. And, 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 and if he's going to engage that much, that's a dead bull. Oh yeah. It's not like you're calling and he won't answer you until every fifth bugle. No, 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 no. You've got him that worked up. You charge that sucker. You get right on him and you cut the distance as fast as you can. And now you can actually get that bull. You can get in that 60, 70 yard range and just hammer him. And I'm telling you, that is a game changer right there because you're a threat to him. You've already convinced him and sold him you're the real thing or he would not be continuing to answer you. Nothing. He just stops. If he saw you or winded you, it's game over. But that's not the case. So, again, you're reading everything. Now, if he gets in the betting area, I mean, this guy, the, the odds of putting that bull down are just it, – it, it's it, it's very high. It's over 90 percent. All you have to do is do your part and not be able to be seen or heard. And, and, and again, you're going to play the situation. Is it time to challenge him in there? It could be. If there's multiple bulls bugling this bull, I mean it, it, that shows you he has a hot cow. If he's bugling on his own and there's no other bulls responding but he's still excited, he's doing – he's being more defensive, not so much for the cows but for his piece of real estate. He does not like another bull coming in, an intruder bull coming in, especially when he doesn't know, doesn't recognize you by your sound. He knows all these elk in his area by their sound, believe me, bulls and cows alike. So you're a new new kid on the block, and, and, and it can ruffle his feathers. And if you get in close enough and advertise yourself, a lot of times that's all you have to do is advertise your presence within his parameters, and he will not go for it. Advertising means you're alerting the other elk in the area that there's another elk there to consider as the rut picks up and cows come into heat. And that's what you're doing. They don't like it. And, 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 and if it's early on, like the bull I killed this year, I killed one on September the 2nd. I knew the cows weren't coming into heat. They never do in our area, nowhere near this early. But we got in there after he bugled a couple of times. We got right where his bedding area was. 
and 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 all of a sudden my son was starting to advertise himself very strong and the bull actually cut him off a couple of times and my son got right back on him and that bull just came running and and 25 yards whack right through him and 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 see and that's on September the 2nd it's because we were reading the situation what's going to be the best tool at this time to get this bull it wasn't cow calls we did give a couple. He could care less about a cow call. It meant nothing. He didn't respond. We already knew that we had to play, that we are in your uh, domain, and you are not going to like this, and we know it. And it wasn't like we were throwing out thunderbolt bugles here. It wasn't like that. It was the fact that we were demonstrating our presence with a little bit of rake and a little pawn. And then when you, when you give a bugle, you denote excitement sometimes. And the way you denote excitement – a, a bull will show excitement toward a cow or bull, and he'll pant. Anytime you hear a bull kind of do this, <sighs> he's panting and he's showing excitement. Sometimes they'll even wheeze through it a little bit stronger. But you kind of hear him kind of go. <sighs> and he's just showing you know, whether it's me calling and showing the excitement that I'm not backing out. Well, he could do the same thing, showing his excitement and his bugle behind it. He wants you out of there. You see, if he was talking to a cow, what would the, what would the response be? His excitement and the bugle is trying to suck her in. He's trying to see this is emotional sounds that an elk will use the same as if we were yelling at a coworker, a man or a woman. We don't change our sounds. It's all the same. And that's the same with a bull or a cow. When they're using that same identical sound for a cow, it means to get your butt over here now. So see, it's it it it's it's where he's at. It's the encounter he's in or presented with that 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 you're reading the emotion. One can say, "Get the heck out of here." One says, "Get the heck over here." So it depends on the gender, and that's what you're reading the entire time. If that bull would have hung up. And he would have started, you know, and not come in. That means we probably would have been using cow sounds or he did have a hot cow over there and he wouldn't leave her to come over to us. But in most cases, if he did have a hot cow and we were that close, we were within, we were within under 150 yards when we finally set up and, 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 and sucked that bull right in. And, and so, you know, you're working both sides of the fence there. Hot cow, no hot cow. Well, it doesn't matter. He's going to be defensive for his property. You see, and that's the kind of things you're working and thinking about the whole time that you're there. And, 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 and it does help, you know, that we've killed a lot of herd bulls. And so we kind of have the idea and we expect it. And, but anyway, you know, that's how you're reading things out there. You listen to them. And if it's only one single bugle, that tells me volumes. If he would have only bugled one time, just a single time, and he was still 200 yards away, I already know I cannot challenge that bull. I am done. If I do, he's either going to shut up or he's going to leave the area because guys are recklessly aggressive just thinking everything should run in on him. So that bull right there, I, I absolutely 100% have to go to the slow play. Why the slow play and not the breeding sequence? Because my biggest three is I recommend breeding sequence, slow play, or full sand challenge. That's what I do. It's one of those three. And yeah, there's other little things you're tweaking around when you're hunting elk that you have to make adjustments. But they're the three main, main meat and potatoes. And then you make your little adjustments from there. If I went to a breeding sequence on a bull that only bugled once, see a breeding sequence is more high intensity. It's faster paced. You're more than one cow 
even though you're still one bull, you can even do a breeding sequence with a lead cow. She'll make a high-pitched bugle unlike what a bull would ever do. And you can play it. That's what I mean. You can make little adjustments for where you're at. But number one on that bull, I got him where he wants to be. I'm going to kill him with a slow play. That's how I'm going to get him. I'm going to suck him right in, and I'm gonna, I know I'm going to be there for a minimum of 20 minutes, maybe 30. It doesn't matter to me because I know what I'm dealing with. I've seen the results in the past. And so when I, when I share things like this, I want people to have it in their head, in their mind. Don't get too impatient too fast. When you go through the slow play, let it work. It's magic. It's there. It will work. He will eventually usually engage. Hardly ever do I ever, ever have a bull come in silent. I take a bull like that that hasn't said anything. And before he dies, he's usually bugled anywhere from 15 to 25 times. And he wasn't saying nothing, no matter what you did, 15, 20 minutes prior. Not a sound. But that is how you raise that testosterone level. And you get his man parts excited, man. That's all there is to it. You convince him you got that hot cow right there. And, and, and that's the hunter's part. It's our job to sell it. It, it, it's a key factor. You can't just make the sounds. You have to be convincing. You have to have the right emotion, the right tone. And, and it just makes all the world, and especially when you're working over-the-counter bulls that see it all, but they don't see this. Yeah, one of the one of the <laughs> unfortunate things that, that I saw, right, and, and you kind of brought it up when you talk about, you know, <laughs> that uh, making that aggressive play, right, getting them in there after them. Um, based on you know that reading that situation is you hear a bugle and then immediately immediately guys are throwing out challenge bugles and lit balls <laughs> and chuckles and and again for me being in my elk infancy you know consuming everything i have and and dissecting it and and putting it together the way that i feel like it fits the area that i'm hunting and there's some issues there we'll talk about that but um it's always it's I mean, not it's, just your area though it's not the area you're hunting so much it's the mindset of the elk at the time frame you're hunting it that's what it is because we all hunt heavily pressured areas i hunt idaho over the counter you're hunting colorado over the counter but but don't confuse it when it's not the area as much as it is, are there any cows in heat? You see, and really, are he, is that bull in his destination, in his bedding area? Is he in the feeding area? I don't care how much pressure is there. You have to know the mindset of the bull, not how many times he's been worked in the past. That's what you need to know. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> um, no, I'm glad. Check me. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> um so, yeah, so everything that I would hear, you know, if you crack off a bugle and then another hunter responds and, and you know, there's a ton of folks that you know that that's a hunter, but they immediate, I have a video and I hear a, I hear a bugle and it's off a ways. And so I just locate back. And this, as soon as I located back, this guy responds and he's, and he's throwing out challenge bugles and he wasn't a bad caller, but it was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I just threw a locate back at you and you immediately start challenging me. Where, where are we missing it with, with everything that we have available? And, and maybe that's the, for the lack of a better word or a phrase, the sex appeal of elk hunting, right? Everybody wants <laughs> to get into that that challenge, right? That that lip ball scenario. And man, I've really become fond of like the slow play, the breeding sequence. Um, you know, I'll sit and rake, and I had phenomenal 
responses last year without any audible sounds, just grabbing the rake and hitting it. Um, and, and that was where most of the interactions came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do. I will. I will say this, you know, and I've stated it before that when a at raking is a monster tool, it's great. It's, it, I probably bring in more elk with the addition of raking than some of the best elk sounds ever. It, it, and it's a good point. But I will warn against one thing, and that is in a lot of over the counter units, especially where they're continually hunted by multiple hunters a week, sometimes several a day. And sometimes it's us working the same bull for more than, uh, you know, one encounter, two and three, four, and trying to repeat and get on in the same day and then come back the next day and the next day. Cause you know, they're in there. It's a huge mistake that people make, but one of the biggest things that you're going to see because elk are continually in survival mode, they have survival instincts is is if you start raking before you've ever established what you are most elk will run you will find this the case i'm telling you right now they will run they will put distance between you it doesn't mean they won't answer but you are not going to kill them and that's what you're there for you're there to put a tag on them if if, if it's an elk you're going to shoot but if you start doing a lot of raking on over-the-counter units especially Without ever establishing what you are first, you will notice distance will get put between you. Let's put it this way. How many of those elk this last year that you did nothing but raking came in to where you could have killed them? No problem. One. <laughs> Out of how many? Out of how many? Uh, Pops, half, half a dozen. Okay, so one did come in. With with and when I said raking, I mean you made no other sound no other prior sounds. to that. No other sound. Okay, so one out of six. So to make it six out of six, what you're trying to do is you always establish identity. And I found this out the hard way myself. Years, I mean, I was a raking sucker because it worked so well. So then I figured, well, wait a minute. I'm just going to start raking because I want them to think in my head that that's a bull over there. But a lot of elk don't think that way. And, and especially the more mature bulls, the younger ones, you can fool them almost constantly. They're just they're just not there yet. Two and a half, three and a half. You can fool those bulls pretty easily. The odds are that bull you called in was probably no more than a five point. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there because I think that's probably what he was or less. I doubt he was a six because all you did was rake. You never established a cow call or a bugle within a five minutes of it. If you would have, it tells him what that sound is he's hearing. But if you slip on a bull. And you're 80 yards away and you start raking and you've never established who, what you are or the possibility. That is when they'll run a lot of times because they don't know what it is. You want them to think it's another bull raking, but you can't go by that. You got to go what's in their head. It's survival. I mean, are you in a hunting area where there's wolves, mountain lions, bears, some sort of predator, humans constantly pressuring them? This is what happens. They hear these noises and they immediately put distance on a possible threat. So what I do before I ever rake, I don't care how what area I'm hunting, I establish what I am, that there's elk there. I might even start with a cow call, but I can still rake. All that means is there's a bull with a cow. That's all it means. And maybe I never bugled because I don't need to because doing cow calls and raking is a very deadly technique. Anytime a bull is raking and he's next to a cow, he's displaying for her. So it can paint a picture in another bull's mind that this guy is around a possible hot cow, a cow coming into estrus because he's displaying for her right there where she – he heard the cow call. You see, so 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 all of a sudden you got the curiosity going, and until the bull uh, uh, starts using 
additional sounds to convince him that he has the hot cow. You see, that could make him come closer and closer. He may already come closer and closer from the cow calls and the raking. A lot, a lot of bulls will, but sometimes you had to push it a little further and be more convincing. It depends how many times this bull's been harassed and hammered and pressured. None to very little, he'd probably come right in. But if he's been busted and busted, maybe somebody shot an arrow and skipped it off his back. Maybe he's winded three people in the last five days. See, we hunters, we have to evaluate all this. And a lot of it goes by the area that we're hunting, time of day. Everything comes into play. If I bugle a bull and immediately he starts moving off and I bugle again and he moves, 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 that bull has been hammered. I can tell you right now, he's been hammered. So now if there's two of us, one guy will stay back three or 400 yards, keep him vocal, and now he's not running anymore. Because if you bugle two or three times from the same spot, he settles down, and he starts walking if he's still going to his bedding area. He will slow way down and allows the shooter to try to get around that bull and on that level while the, uh, the caller keeps the bull vocal but does it move. See, as long as it's within earshot, the bull it will answer him almost every time as he moves off, maybe with his cows, could be alone, and the hunters, the other hunter goes up, uh, uh, you know, quietly, quietly meaning not calling, and moves around, get in position, and here comes the bull right on across eventually, and he doesn't know that shooter even exists. But see, those are things you have to do sometimes when you're hunting a lot of heavily hunted country where there's a lot of pressure. So, you know, there's a lot of little things to think about, but as you go through them and people share things like this with you, it becomes automatic. It really does. It's not that difficult. Like you have to pull out a book and, and rehearse this thing. It just, you get in these situations and you realize to put this bull down, here's the tactic we're going to have to use because of the situation we've just read. And, and, and again, that's what you're doing. And, and that's a hard thing, right? When, when you, when you're in the elk woods and unless you have that experience, uh, it, it's the, I, we, we want everything really fast, right? I want it now syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, you're, you're so right. <laughs> you know, and, and it, 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 it makes it a challenge and that's part of that. The mental game, in my opinion, with elk is is being able to settle that back and understand that, you know, like you're saying, read the scenario. But but even bigger is make sure that your repertoire is up to par to where you can read those scenarios or you're going to know, you know, I'm going to go learn the hard lessons. And, and that's like, you know, me listening to you now talking about the raking and, and the bulls were I think we had we had the evening we showed up which was uh, the day before opener and the bulls were bugling um, and they were just piping off that evening. I, I kid you not, Paul woke up at, at 4 a.m. boots on and we did not hear another bugle for six days. And it mm -hmm. was just, we knew the elk were there. We had fresh sign. We were seeing cows, but they, they were just, they were zero as far as vocalizations. Yeah, that's the one you have to set up and let, you know, let and work your magic. You have to set up when when you when you know the elk are there. Now, if it's another story, if you're saying, I don't know where the elk are, there was no sign, there was nothing, then you have to keep moving until you find that sign or a vocalization. But in the case that you know they're there, you can tell by all the activity around you, the trails, everything going on. That is a – you have to set up and call them in. That's just all there is to it. And you have to be convinced in your mind they are going to come. So let's say that you have three people in your group and you're going to set up. 
because you know you're within 200. I like to set up when I'm about 200 to 250 yards from elk. Okay, that's my favorite setup on a, on a, on a on a setup when I know the elk aren't being very vocal. Even if I heard one or two bugles, I will only set up two 250 away. I'm not trying to get a hundred. The only time I go to a hundred or inside that magic number is when I have a hot bull. That's it. Outside of that, I could care less. I will suck him into two two fifty every single day of the week. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It me where else are they gonna go? They You're... don't have cell phones, man. They don't got no TV. <laughs> they got nothing. And so when you draw on their curiosity and you play it up and you play it up and you make it real, it just kicks their butt. They just have to come and check you out because they are herd animals. These are not deer. They're like horses. They want to know every little thing out there, every animal, and especially of their own gender. They want to know cow, bull, whatever. They want to come over their own species there. And so by, by, by sucking them in that way, you just have to have the confidence that they're going to come. Whether they vocalize or they come in silent, I promise you, unless, until, until you give them a reason to, they will come straight at you. They will not try to come in around you. They will not do that. Only – if you uh, if suspicion arises in their mind, suspicion will come from the wind turn and got to him. Somebody moved in position, moved his hat, turned around, get a drink of water out of his pack. Some guy's taking his pack off. I mean, there's all these little things guys start doing after 10 minutes. They get bored because they think nothing's going to happen. And, 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 and so their their awareness starts going from 95 percent down to 80 and 70 and 60. And next thing you know, they're leaning up against a tree with their bow sitting on the ground. I mean, the guys do this all the time because they don't expect anything after a while. And the next thing you know, the guy gets to move to go see what's going on and grabs the bow. And there's an elk standing 15 yards away, just staring at him. And he's like, what the heck? Where did he come? You know, it happens. And because we let our guard down, but once you start getting into thing and you start seeing this happens a lot, and you, cause you know, the elk are there, you know, and, 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 and me, I try to, uh, I spice it up. I do things a little different than most people because I'm not a big cold calling guy when that, what that means is the majority is, is, is really small little bull stuff and, 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 and cow calling is because it attracts cows and spikes first. I am after five, six point bulls when I'm hunting over the counter, uh, a, a draw five points are out of the, 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 the mention. I could care less about them. I'm looking for a bigger bull, but on, on, on over the counter, it's a five or six. So I'm going to use my sounds that target bulls. I'm not using a sound that targets any elk. That's cold calling. It targets any elk. The breeding sequence and the slow play are going to target bulls. Now, if I want to go to an advertising sequence, what does that attract? Uh, almost nothing but bulls. Full, ch- full send challenge when, it, when, when, it, when it's required, it's going to attract bulls only. And so, see, when I'm going to set up on something like that, I'm going to try to, to attract bulls because I have a hot cow. That's what I'm representing. Why would a cow in in any uh, extreme of the uh, of your thought process, would she want to come in and go check out the hot cow? She could care less. I don't even know if I've ever even called a cow in with a hot cat with a slow play. I mean, I, I can't even remember. It's bulls. That's what that's what you're inciting right there. That's what you're ex- not only inciting, but exciting as well. That is your key. That is how you have to present your case, you see, to the judge, which is the bull. You're presenting a rock-solid case that you have a hot cow. It's undeniable, and it finally gets him to be part of the equation. He wants to engage. His very first thing, 
which I mentioned a hundred times in podcast, is he tries to call the cow over. You listen for that. You will listen to his response to you finally. And he's trying to call the cow away from this bull. And, and, and that's when the game it's, and the minute he does that, if it's my son, and I, we just look at each other and shake our head. Cause this is a dead bull. This guy's done. He, he's, he's made a sound. He's, he, it's over. We finally got him to commit and, and, and very rare. If you have anything sneak in, guess what it is. It was the elk. You never knew was there. It wasn't the bull that you heard. Or, 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 you know, you want him to engage. It was something else, or you pulled something else from the sides that were within earshot, and they are the ones that come sneaking in. So it's usually not the bull you were targeting, but that happens. That's part of elk hunting. You're going to get some of these, oh, I wonder what's going on over there. Oh my God, I've got to go check that out. And that's what happens, you know, and they, they, and so you have to watch out for all that stuff. But if you have three people, have one shooter, two callers. Do not have two shooters and a caller. Don't do it. They'll screw each other up. Time and time again. If I had four people, I'd have three callers and one shooter, I, and, and that's how I would work. But most of the time, I'm either by myself or it's my son. We really don't hunt with other people much. It's just something, you know, I know I said we, we've done a couple hundred over the years, but it's invites. It's not like we do it daily. We'll hunt 25 days a year, and we might take somebody for three or four days. And that's it. The rest is us, or, 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 or we're, we're solo. But that's how we hunt, and, 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 and I'll tell you, by sticking to those those parameters, multiple hunters, one shooter, more elk will be killed by a mile, by a mile, and 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 because no, he, he's not pressured, the hunter, the shooter, he's not worried about the other guy maybe getting the shot first or this guy going well the elk's coming in but I don't know who is closer so I'm going to make a move and a lot of times they screw the other guy who had a wide open shot and and and, and I see this happen. That's why I don't do it anymore. And I just noticed that the odds go up so much more. And so if it gets screwed up, the shooter, who do you have to blame? Nobody but himself. You know, <laughs> it's, can't go somebody else. <laughs> the, the funny part about that, man, is is when the uh, when the bone is walking by, man, that uh, the horns come out, you know. <laughs> right. it's so and, you know, they get excited. And, 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 and a lot of hunters. I would say most archery elk hunters, they haven't killed 10 bulls. And so if you're in that category, it's easy to get that excitement and, oh, I'm, I got to get an arrow in him. But when you're, you know, when you start killing 25 and more, you settle down and you allow things to develop. As you're, 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 you go more into a slow-mo mode. You know he's going to come. Take your time. It's not a big deal. But you don't, you do not see that in your head when you have like 10 bulls or less. Or ten bulls, if if it's partially some bulls and cows, you just still don't have that mindset, you know. And and, and so it, 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 everything seems like now or never. There he is, and you might make a bad shot because you're forced because you think, oh, this is my my best opportunity, my only. I got to make something happen, and, and so they start pin cushioning things, you know, instead of just waiting and allowing that thing to happen and for a really really good shot. And and most of the time. When the elk is sold and they're still coming, that you are an elk, they will keep coming. But so many times they'll stop and scan, and that's what gets hunters unnerved right there. But when you finally realize after being in enough situations like that, when he does stop, oh, my God, here he comes. He's still coming. And you realize that it's not an hour and everything. And he may turn. He may even walk in and realize, oh, my goodness, I should be seeing something right here. And he's only 10 yards from the shooter, doesn't know he's there. 
but he knows he should see something by now. And so once you start getting your stuff together, even if you haven't drawn yet, you're just sitting there because he came in from where you didn't know, and there he is as a shooter. He's 10 yards, doesn't see you. The wind is right. He's looking where the calling came from, sees nothing. And and after enough times, I can promise you this is what happens. He will turn around and leave because he's unsure of the situation. He see, He knows there's something wrong. Where does he go? He goes where he came from. Because it was secure. He doesn't go left and he doesn't go right. He goes right back where he came from. And he'll follow that path almost step for step because it was safe. Now, if he saw you or smelled you, yeah, he may bolt and go in some weird direction. But as soon as he realizes something's not right, he turns to leave. That is your time to kill him. You draw and you give him a nervous grunt, just kind of <laughs> right there at the same time. He will turn to look. Because you've asked him for an action. You've asked him, what is he? Where is he? Or, or for a visual. That's what the nervous grunt means to an elk. So see, it wasn't a cow call where it doesn't ask for anything other than you want him to buy that he just missed a cow that was standing right there and he didn't see it. Instead of that, all elk make the nervous grunt. So giving him an action and expect a reaction from him in return. And it will. He'll turn to look, right? How did he miss that elk? And whack, the arrow's gone. So see, you didn't force it and try to draw away, stand there looking at you thinking it's now or never. It's not going to happen. You know, no, be patient, be patient. He's going to stop. And when he does, he will lock up. His muscles, muscles will tension his legs. You can tell right now he's nervous. Something's wrong. He's going to turn to leave. When he takes his eyes off you and he turns completely around, hit him with a nervous grunt and draw all simultaneously. And that bull will turn. He will give you like a cording away, if not a broadside shot, to look for a split second where that elk is that he did not see. And the elk is asking an action out of him. So I'm just showing, you know, these little things as you start realizing it. And so when I take people, out, I try to dress, you know, the whole thing down and I try to let them know here's what can happen. Here's what happens if you set up or if a bull comes in or blah, blah, blah. I mean, you try to cover all those things that could come up that have you know, come up in our face and we had to learn the hard way. And so we try to erase those things so that these guys can cut the learning curve down much quicker and, and, and have success right away. So it's little things like this right here that can promote success outside of how great of a caller are you? You know, really, that's not what it is. No. And, and you know, the, the and, and calling is fun, right? And it, it is again the sex appeal of it but you you in, in that entire <laughs> statement you and, and i heard everything but what stood out to me was patience patience in the development and patience in i'm in your face now what are you going to do right and and not rushing that not getting complacent because it's been 10 minutes uh 15 minutes and okay he's not coming in um that's that's a big deal man and and you know, being in the woods with the guys I was in the woods with and I've seen it in myself. Right. And because I've been hunting so long, I, I think there was a little bit of the understanding that I'm going to have to wait things out. But even with that, I still don't listening to you. I still feel like I haven't exuded the amount of patience in that slow calling or in that uh, in that slow play, excuse me, or that breeding sequence that I probably should have. I think I, I thought it was played out before it was. 
that's a yeah, you know people people just need to realize when you incorporate one sequence or a tactic or however how you want to word it over another and and that's really the bottom line is is understanding when to use this one instead of this one and this one instead of this one and and and, and that's a part of the evaluation of uh, the hunter and it's 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 like anything in this world guy i mean think about it when you go out and you're going to golf. I mean, you have to learn all the clubs in your bag. It doesn't mean an eight won't work where a, a, a six is better. You have to swing harder, blah, blah. You know, the, the point is, is that they all have their spot where they can shine. The same as your putter, your driver, your three, your three wood. All of it has its thing, you know. And so you have all these clubs in your bag for a special purpose, special distance and it's the same thing when you, you're calling you're not only reading the situation and you're reading the sounds you're also reading the encounter you're in it's like you give a bugle and a bull gives you a short lip ball i mean just really short and and a couple of chuckles what's happening right there he's rounding his cows up and he's getting out of there that's what he's doing and he it, it sound like this right here here's what would happen so you give a bugle and you hear this 300 yards away he's not even talking to you no i mean he's saying crap to you he is responding because of you and he's rounding his cows up that's what he's doing now what if he gave a lip ball which i won't do right now but if i gave a lip ball that was like two and a half seconds long in it he's responding to me his emotion has risen and he's pissed and he's probably going to hit me with grunts, no chuckles. So now he's going to hit me with that scream with the lip ball and now he's going to grunt me. They're spaced much further apart, nowhere near as many are used, and now that's directed to me. Is he running? No, he ain't running. Not when he throws that sound out. So see, I'm reading it. I'm like, okay, that bull's talking to me right here. But if he gives that lip ball, Short lip ball, it's a more of a roundup bugle is what it is. He's moving his cows right off, and it shows he has cows. He does not give that sound if he doesn't have any cows. Nothing. It's t- he's talking to his cows right there. He's not talking to you, telling you to come over here. No. So, see, I'm listening to all this when I'm in the field. How is he re- responding? What kind of lip ball is he giving me grunts? Is he giving me chuckles? See, grunts, you're usually going to hear a grunt. It's going to be more like this. You see, he slows it way down, and you're only going to get a couple of them. You're none of this ape-like where he's trying to tell you to come over or gather his cows and get out of there. He's he's only going to give you two or three, and they're spaced out. So, see, that's what we're listening for as hunters when we're out there. Is And what if I hear that, and I've never said anything, I'm walking up the woods, in the woods. I know darn well that this bull's being harassed by something out there. Another hunter, uh, other bulls. So, you know, knowing your area, knowing you went up where there was no trail and you're bushwhacking and you just come up over this rise, there's a good chance there's no hunter up there. It's just you. Nobody else has parked anywhere. And so, you know, you, you start getting these ideas of, 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 of how you're evaluating a situation. So now I'm going, okay, here's what's going on up there. I know there's at least one satellite. There's a bull there. He's got cows. You see, I haven't even seen anything and I already know what's going on. I already know what's up there so it's like okay 
this is like uh, two days left of the season. I'm going to go for the easiest one right now because it's really boiling down. I'm going for the satellite, and I'm going to kill that satellite. How am I going to kill him? I'm going straight to a breeding sequence, straight to it, and I'm going to suck him right in. How do I know that's going to work? Because that's why he's there. That bull has a hot cow. And I mean, for some reason, I think I can get in the bull and call the herd bull out and kill him just as easy. I'll do that. But the situation has to be right, meaning the terrain offers it. The wind's perfect. Lots of cover. I can get right on his face. And if it's not there, I'm going to take the easier route and I'm going to call the satellite because the satellite I can call 250 yards away. The herd bull, I got to get inside 100. Can I do it? I might not. See, the terrain might not allow. So I'm going to take... I'm going to take the, you know, the, 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 you know, the bird in the hand thing, right. <laughs> the two in the bush. That's, That's what I'm going to do. I got uh, two days of the season left. I'm taking this one. So see, I'm evaluating what's going on. I'm thinking of my own mindset, you know, a, a, a full freezer of a five point and uh, is better than an empty freezer of a six point that got away. You know, it just doesn't mean <laughs> that, that, that's not that big a deal. So when you're out there and you're listening to things, you're evaluating what you're hearing. And so I can tell those two bulls are, are going back and forth like that. It, it's just like this bull that I called in. Well, actually, my son and I both did. But it, 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 we were up there on opening morning, and we were heading straight up a mountain, pitch black. We're going up, up. We know the area. We've killed elk in it before. And as we got up to one of the benches, it was just getting light. And I heard a herd bull bugle. I mean, it just a wicked scream, just wicked, but it was distant, but I heard it. And then I heard another response. I mean, immediately I went, my goodness, there's already a cow in heat. This is August the 30th. There's a cow in heat. I mean, they were just going back and forth. So we closed the distance, but it was so steep. They, they were outrunning us and they were still at least 400 yards away, thick timber. And I could hear going back and forth, back and forth. So I told my son, I said, man, the only thing, only chance we even got is to try to call that satellite from there. That's the only chance we got. So immediately I started going into some very loud cow sounds to call him over. And I was doing, instead of just cow calling like this, you know, just social, I tried to call the bull. And let him know I wanted – I was a cow down here on this bench, and I wanted to bring him down. I don't care which one came, but I knew it wasn't going to be the herd bull. But I was trying to sway him that maybe he had a better chance over here than he did with that bull that wasn't going to give him anything. So I went into this. And that asks an elk to come over your way. That's what a cow will do when cows get separated. But it applies to a cow or bull. doesn't matter. But you can call other elk when they're in your area and maybe they've, they, they've separated or you don't see them now or they're not responding to you, your normal chatter. And so you call them back with that sound right there. And all of a sudden that, that satellite, I knew it was a satellite, just shut up, never made a sound. And I could hear the other bull still bugling, going up, 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 up. It was so steep. There's no way. We could have ever kept up with them. No way. And so I kept up a few sounds like that and just waited. Nothing happened. I'm saying 10, 12 minutes went by. Nothing. My son goes, ah, there's nothing going on. Let's just, let's just move on. We'll find another bull. I said, no, that bull stopped bugling. 
I said, it's only one bull, bull bugling. That bull's coming over here. Nah, because, I mean, you get tired of it after a while. I, 15 minutes goes by, nothing. And I still give a few cow calls. Paul gave a few, too. I said, just give a few. Just give a few. So we'll sound like two different elk. We're over here. I said, he's got to be coming. After about 15 minutes or so, all of a sudden, I could hear crashing, banging through. There was a bunch of willows, and we could hear him walking. We um, we could hear an elk walking. We couldn't see anything. And the next thing you know, I gave, I turned around and gave a couple cow calls, cast my sound to give him a direction, and he walked right out. He's looking, 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 and he was a five by six, a nice little bull. He walked right in, and Paul shot him at about fifteen yards. And so you see, and he never made a sound the entire time. Not even so much as a moan, zero. But we were patient. Now, what if we'd have left? That bull would have come sauntering in there, looking around, finding no cows. He'd have kept moving. I think this happens to a lot of people a lot. They give a few sounds. Nothing happens within a few minutes, and they get bored thinking all is gone, all is lost. And and we're burning daylight. We got to move. So reading the situation, realizing that bull shut up, that we might have a chance here, you know, so you got to play it out. You got to go, okay, let's hold back. We can't catch this bull. So really, where are we going to go from here? We're just going to cover ground and hope something happens sooner or later. No, why not wait right there? I mean, what's 10, 15 minutes, you know, is it going to make a big difference in your day? It's just not, but you think it is. Anyway, that bull came in and we ended up packing meat right there. <laughs> and so, yeah, so, you know, you, 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 you take what the mountain will give you at times. Read the situation once again. There's so many different ways to read it through sounds or lack of them can speak volumes just like that bull did to me. It spoke volumes that he shut up. It meant to me that the strong possibility he was going to come our way. And so, you, so you've mentioned a couple times, right, and, and one of my – I don't know if you call it a tactic, but mm-hmm. 10, 15 minutes in, in a sequence or in a scenario or, or you're, you know, you got those interactions going like that. Um, and we talk about quitting <laughs> 10 or 15 minutes can seem like an hour as you're yeah. as you're waiting yeah. and anticipating. Right. So, and, and it, you know, and I'm just throwing this out there to the folks. But one of the things that I started doing was, you know, you keep that watch on you and time time myself and, and say, OK, this is this is, you know, 15 minutes here and I'm literally you know watching that clock every so often making sure that i'm not blowing out of there in you know five to seven minutes and i'm giving it the time to play out um just one of my little my little tricks to help with my patience (laughs) yeah i would have given that bull every bit of 30 though and if he didn't show up in 15 or 16 or whatever i wasn't watching my watch i'm just going more on what i thought how much time went by it's the same when i when i talk about a slow play I'm so busy with it that I'm really not watching my watch. It's more of a, a, a clock in my head. And I mean, I could be off with it, you know, but, but, but that's kind of the, 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 the time frame I'm thinking of. I'm not, I, I'm so into the situation that emotionally I, I really am. I mean, this isn't like I'm just throwing some sounds out there. I'm, I'm really into it when it requires it. If I'm in a, in a heated situation where I'm calling a bull in and we're trading insults, that's a whole different thing. Things go very quickly and there's a reason why we're in that situation, you know? And so then things go much quicker, but I've noticed on over the counter hunts that it, it takes me, at least twice as long, if not three times as long, to call a bull in as it does on a, a, a draw tag hunt. I call those bulls in so much faster 
because of the fact it's the same sounds. I haven't changed anything. It's because they are not harassed as much. So you don't have to be as believable and persistent and just drag it out and drag it out on, on over the counter bulls. You really got to hammer it and hammer it and hammer it. And I don't mean over calling. I mean, persistence, even though there may be a one or two minute lapse between your calling, you can't give up. You have to keep hitting them and hitting them and let them know you're still there. So when I'm saying I'm there for 20 minutes, guy, I don't mean I'm calling for 20 minutes. Yeah, I've called over a 20 minute span, but I'm there's hesitation in there. There's some drop offs. And, and, and because why do I do that? Because it's natural. This is how elk are. And it's good to let a few minutes go by before you pipe off your next sound. And all that tells us the real elk is they're still there. They're probably bedded. They're milling around there. They're not on the move. And so that's what you're doing in that situation. The same as the opposite would be true if it's a call and stock where I'm three or 400 yards from the bull and trying to keep them vocal for the shooter to get on them. You see and get around them. See, I try to give two or three bugles within 30 seconds. And then wait a minute and give another bugle before I, 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 routinely, I routinely give it every two or three minutes after that. And it shows when I do it at first, the first two or three inside a minute, I haven't moved. I'm not pressuring him. I'm not running after him. There's no, you know, I'm not inside his comfort zone. So he slows down. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm not, I'm not threatening him at any time. I'm just sounding off. So, so you, once you plant that seed that you're not putting the pressure on him and you're trying to steal his cows, you're just feeling your oats for the time of the year it is. And you're bugling back and forth, but he knows I haven't moved the same as if a bull runs in a hundred yards and bugles, you're like, well, he's a lot closer. Well, he knows the same thing that this bull's bugle, but he's not coming any closer. So there's no pressure. So they slow down and it allows that shooter to get around him. Even though he knows, no, there's no shooter there or, you know, he doesn't have any idea the shooters are coming. But I mean, and, and so, again, you're reading everything out there and then trying to apply the, the tactic that you think is going to give you the best odds to have a shot opportunity. And that's and that's elk hunting, whether it's calling myself or listening to them, you know, or whatever it is. It's real important, though, to understand those sounds. And to be able to break it down, each cow sound, each bull sound, how the emotion changes from a location bugle to a challenge, to a roundup, to a challenge where a lip ball is used, to where a bull's coming and he stops and he gives you a nervous grunt and then a challenge. When he puts those two together, that's what I call a full send. It's actually the ultimate sound a bull will ever give. It's the, uh, it's, it's the pinnacle. He, he doesn't have anything more aggressive than that. Nothing. It's the single grunt, and he'll he'll sound something like this as he's coming, and you're working each other. He'll get that. And he and and, and it can come in different lengths. He may even add a lip ball. Maybe he'll he'll give a grunt or two at the end. But when he hits you with that single grunt, and then he screams behind it, it's really irrelevant what he does after the, the scream. It's that first grunt. When you hit that, that is it's everything he has. That's crossing, you know, putting a line, a, a, a line in the sand saying, don't you dare cross it. I have called more bulls in where they kind of hung up a little at about 70, 80 yards. And that's the last sound they ever heard. And they, I have never had one run from it. Never. 
they come storming in and that is when the arrow goes in them but but you can't it's timing you have to work the scenario so it's like waiting 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 now this is it right here you 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 know the feeling because you're working and working him he's coming and then he's stopping then he's coming you're really convincing him and then you put the hammer down or that last nail in the coffin is that sound right there at just the right time in most cases i can hear him running in you know breaking that that, that distance at the end it's awesome man i mean and these are over the counter i'm talking about killing these herd bulls but that's the last thing but if i did it when he's too far out or not ready for it, it wouldn't work. It's not the same thing. So if a guy comes in and says, all right, listen to that podcast and I tried to do it, you didn't do it right. It's the same as anything when you're calling an elk. Everything is timing when you're going to do something. And it's very, very important. And a lot of times it's just getting into enough encounters that you finally uh, understand. Yeah, that that's, that is the challenge, right, is is – blowing enough situations to understand and, and taking account, you know, accountability for them, you know, what I did wrong. And that, that evaluation man is, uh, is huge in the game. Yeah. But the problem is people get aggressive too fast. So if that's the number one thing they need to, to, to shy away from is stop that aggression too fast. Anybody can always be aggressive, but you can't take it back and start being settled. Now it doesn't work like that. So start settle, stay settle until you know you can grow on it because of what you're hearing, what you're, what the feedback is. You know, the longer a bugle comes out, usually without a lip ball or something, it, usually the bull is 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 he's not that aggressive. But the but, but the more intensity and the bugle starts getting shorter and louder, almost like you're yelling at somebody. You see, that's when you can tell the difference between the two. You have a location bugle and a bull's going. You can tell there's really not a lot of aggression behind that. He's just sounding off. He may be in search of other elk. Maybe he's advertising his position, but he's not warning. He's not threatening. You see, and then all of a sudden you get on a bull and he's kind of doing this. So, see, you can tell the difference in his emotion. Immediately, you can tell the difference between the first bugle and the second bugle. Like, hey, this bull's worked up over something. Maybe he didn't answer you, but he's is he, something else out there. Maybe he did answer you. The point is, you can see his mind set right there. Oh, this is a workable bull right here. This is one I can start getting, you know, pretty nasty with. Those are the things you're listening to. If you threw a short, uh, a short lip ball and some chuckles, again, talking to his cows, crap, and he's probably going to pull them out of there and run. And you probably ain't going to catch him. But if he lengthens that lip ball out and there's no chuckling on the end, so you'd have more of a. He ain't talking to his cows. He's talking to you. You see, and that's what you're looking for right there is you're looking for that response. And is he going to run? Is he picking up cows? Nope, not picking up cows with that one right there. And so, again, I talked about it earlier, but those are the those are your parameters. That's what's telling you how you're going to be able to handle the situation from what you're hearing. And it's the same thing when you when you when you talked earlier and you said, I know those elk were all over. They quit uh, talking. And nine times out of ten, when they were real busy and they were, uh, you know, uh, vocalizing with you before they quieted up, it's because there was a hot cow. Once the cow goes out of heat. It, it, it's 
it, it's like shutting a light switch off. And so you have to understand that the cows are in the heat 12, 15 hours. And by the next morning or whatever it was, she was probably completely done out of heat and the bulls are no longer excited about her. And so it all dies down. It's just what happens until the next cows come into heat. It can build that excitement back up. So then it's up to us as hunters to go out there and either call in. If we're looking for any elk, I would go to a cold calling sequence. It's the easiest thing to call elk in with. You know, you're real chattery. You're a lot of cows. You're really vocalizing a lot. I mean, it's just you're hammering it with every imaginable three or four different cow sounds in your hand. But if you're after a bull, you got to go into more of a slow plate mode and you have to present the case that you have a hot cow in your presence with your glunking, your raking, your panting, your moaning, all the above. You're incorporating it in a natural way, not everything in 10 seconds. No, it's spread out as he's showing his desires, his excitement being in the in presence of that cow that she's starting to come into heat. And man, if you go through that for 20 minutes and it's, it, you know, they're there and it's not working. Like I've said before, grab those antlers and give a bugle like a bull's coming in, like you cast it a, a sound further. And then all of a sudden, wait 30 seconds and start clashing them. Make this real elk that are over there, make them think another bull came in and now they're competing. They're rallying, they're cracking those antlers and the cat, yeah, whine it a little bit stomp heave give some of those heaving pants you know <laughs> exasperating hit that call in your mouth and moan with it and crack those i'm telling you it paints a picture in the real elk out my eyes over there that another bull has come in and now they are competing for that hot cow i mean it's just another element don't give up that's what i'm trying to show you don't give up it, you can keep pushing and push and all of a sudden they either vocalize, they can't take no more, or here they come. And, and and just keep playing it because something is going to come. I'm telling you, they will come. And and so and so don't be so ready to throw in that white tail. You know, the slow play. I I mean again, right? Bugles and challenges and all that it's wonderful. It's 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 elk hunting, right? As we see it on YouTube or what have you. There is nothing like a good slow play man i'll be sweating and and mud dripping off me and my my pants are soaked from stomping in the wallow um <laughs> man uh, the slow i mean tell me you don't that, that's just a you can do that for 20 30 minutes and you really do get into that like you know you yep, are you that elk you oh man it, that is that is that's the funnest calling in my opinion is, is running that slow play it's just you have to use it in the right situation i honestly believe that people misuse it they use it for everything and and and, and i've heard it you know online before i mean i had this bull bugling 15 times and he wouldn't come into the slow play that's not a slow play situation he's got a hot cow he's not coming in He's not going to do it. He may try to call your cow over, but he's not going to come to you. The slow play is designed for no bugles up to like two bugles. That's it. Anything after that is not a slow play situation. And that's the hardest thing I have of drilling that into people's head is they misuse it. And so because they think it's the magic wand and it's not. It's just another tactic. It's like trying to call a herd bull away with the breeding sequence. It's almost impossible to do it when there's a hot cow in his presence. And he's got multiple bulls bugling him. He's not going to come. 
he's not going to come to slow play either. You have to take the game to him. So you want to call in a satellite? You can probably do either the slow play or the breeding sequence. But why would I use a breeding sequence over a slow play when there's multiple bulls bugling? Because the slow play is slow. It will take much longer to bring a bull in. The, the, the breeding sequence is a fast-paced, multiple cows. The slow play is only one cow. So you've sweetened the pot. When you have all kinds of chatter going on with different cows and a bull and he's raking and he's in the presence of a possible hot cow really quick with a lot of cows. That is why it gets competitive with satellites that are out there to rush into the breeding sequence. It's much more vocalization, almost nonstop. Nowhere near that with the slow play. But if you did the breeding sequence to a bull that was in an area that he knows dang well there's really nothing going on then all of a sudden you show up with four or five cows and you're screaming everywhere it's not natural does it mean you would never call a bull in using it in that situation no but it'd be the same thing as using an aggressive bugle on every bull you heard it's the same thing something will stick to the wall eventually but you're going to lose a lot uh, lose out on a lot of those encounters and you're not going to take that bull that's why you use a different tactic for a more nonchalant encounter that's why there's different things same deal and 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 and, and if you want to put that ball on the green at 150 yards you better not use a 3 iron cuz it ain't going to work or you're not going to use a driver and you're not going to use a putter. It, it, yeah, you can hit the ball and move it but and advance it, but it's not going to work for that situation. It's the same thing with elk hunting. You know, it, and it doesn't mean like a, a guy can't take a seven iron and get on the green where a nine would have been better. Maybe he's got that finesse and he can get it over there somewhere, but not as close as a nine iron because he's, he's only 118 yards out. His nine is a better choice, but yeah, maybe he can get it on with the seven, but it's 45 feet away from the pin. You see, and that's my point. When you're calling elk, you're using the right tool for the situation you're in to have a better choice or a better chance at a closer encounter or a faster encounter. And, and, and that's what you're choosing when you're out there. It's not like one of the – you have to choose one and the other won't work at all. No. It's just it doesn't work as well. And that and, and that's why I say when I'm using one over the other, it's for a good reason. And, yeah, I mean we hunt over the counter. I mean my son and I have killed 65 in 30 years. I mean come on. I mean well, am I going <laughs> to fix something that ain't broke? And, I mean, I mean, you know, these are mostly all five- and six-point bulls. There's a few that are smaller. Don't get me wrong. But most of them, I can tell you, probably well over half are six points. And it's because we make those adjustments. We listen to what we're hearing out there. We're hearing, okay, this bull, this is what's going on with this bull. Okay, this one, he's got cows, but he's not hot. No hot cows. Okay, here's what we got to do for this one. Or here's a bull bugling by himself. Or here's five bulls bugling or three. You know, and everything has its own. It's not like, oh, there's elk over there. I mean, you can say that, but it doesn't accomplish anything. There's no strategy behind it. And so that's what you're fine tuning is you're reading a situation. Then you're picking and choosing a tactic that you have a lot of faith in. And, and, and of course, like I said before, we have a lot of faith in them because of the results in the past. So what we're trying to do is show hunters, choose this tactic over a, a full send challenge every single time. Try this instead, and you're going to start seeing results. And when you do, even if it's only two out of three and not five out of five, it will build your confidence. The, when, when it is two out of three or two out of four, you will know why the other two didn't work. You did something wrong. Somebody moved. The wind burned you. You cannot 
control things like that and blame the tactic. You have to blame something else. And, 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 and so because the tactic was going to work. It, it, there's no question in my mind. It just it works for us every year, everywhere we go. So it, it's up to the hunter to use his smarts and to be a very good salesman under you know specific situations. I mean, the sales part is great, right? But I, I think that there's some level of misconception or uh, confusion, if you will, right? If you look at it, right? There's finding them. There's you know. Um, working them or getting on them and calling them. But ultimately the goal is to kill that elk. Right. And I, I, I think there's so much emphasis that we place on, you know, again, the sex appeal of it. We, we got to look at the end result that we're trying to achieve. And it's not just to call the SOBs in it's to kill them, yep. you know? And then I think that, and I'm, you know, looking, looking at myself in my pursuit, that that's one of the things that I've been working up is, you know, Hey, that's, that's the end goal right there. Right. Like the calling and all that, but I want to understand, like you're saying, I want to understand those scenarios and be able to play those scenarios out to where the end result is not just calling them in. It's actually killing the elk. You know, that's the goal guys. Yeah. And, and, it's the same as the shooter slipping around on a call on stock. Maybe the shooter would love to call, but if he does, it's a big mistake. And, you know, he has to go in silent and, and not give away his presence. And, and a lot of the stuff that I'm referring to and, and, and talking about the sounds and this and that is you have to understand I'm talking about elk that you're not seeing. I'm not going to call to elk and use all these uh, different sounds when they're standing out there in the open in sagebrush or pinion and I'm looking right over there and I can see them, whether they're 150 or half a mile away. I'm not trying to call them. You know why? I've already seen them. I know they're there. So I'm going to close the distance and get over there and try to use what cover I have to 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 make it happen and put an elk down and if no calling is necessary because they're so vocal on their own that i don't need to call i'm going to get in position and ambush i'm going to have them come right by me because he's vocal enough that i can get into a good situation where i should be within shooting range as he comes through as long as he doesn't see me or the cows don't see me and the wind is right so you know that's just part of, of elk hunting it, it and it's going to come down to a point in people's lives that, like me, I've made decisions, is do how do I want to kill an elk? How do I want to hunt elk? Do I just want to kill an elk and that's it and I really don't care how it's done? If that was me, I would sit a tree stand. I would kill an elk so easy every single year, even though I do kill them most every year anyway, but I choose it under my terms. But if a guy didn't want to put all the work in, and it really isn't that much work because there's a lot of enjoyment out of it once you start understanding the sounds and when to issue them and when not to or a tactic. Sit a tree stand because a tree stand will kill you or have opportunities every single year, every year. All you have to do is location, location, location. Get it near active uh, trails leading from bedding to feeding, active wallows, mineral licks, dry sand where they're using it. I mean anything where elk are using an area, put a tree stand where it's going to give you a good shot opportunity and then be willing to put the time in. If you can sit a tree stand for seven straight days, you are probably going to kill an elk as long as the wind doesn't give you away. Get it in an area that they're obviously moving. You can see the sign everywhere. You can call from a tree stand if you like. I could not help but not. I have to call because that's who I am, you know, but I've killed elk in about every imaginable way with every weapon there is. 
other than a recurve. I've killed four with a longbow, but I've never killed one with a recurve because I've never hunted with one. <laughs> but, you know, my son is hunting with a recurve. But the point is, is that taking them with all these different uh, weapons under different situations, I find the most exhilarating excitement guy is calling. And that's why I choose that method. And have done my best to perfect it. So that means I pick certain country I'm going to hunt so that I can employ this calling techniques where they cannot see me or they call me to them. There's times I'm going to call the elk to me. There's times I'm going to allow them to call me to them. I have to have the terrain to do that. I have to have cover. I'm always going to use the wind in my favor no matter what, but I have to have that cover no matter what the wind is doing. And so I need both those forces in my favor. And so, and, 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 and by calling and having elk vocalize as the distance is being cloned, it's just like the bull I killed this last year and, and, and many others. That bull, when he hit 35 yards, he stopped and just screamed. Well, I don't know if anybody, if how many times you've seen that and they're that close and doesn't know you're there. It's so exhilarating. It, there's nothing like it. It's like they're just blew your hat right off your head. I mean, there's just something about it that how is he not hearing my heartbeat? You know, and, and as many times I've been in this situation and I'll be 66 this month, it it's, doesn't get old. It's just like, holy cow. I mean, you want to tell somebody the story. It isn't like, well, that's my 35th elk. You know, that's no big deal anymore. It's You're not. Oh, yeah. It's there's something about a bull bugling in your face like that. And still, I realized when I was full draw, I was full draw when he was at 40, 45 yards. As he came through and he came through and he stopped and he bugled at 35, I still didn't shoot him. Because I didn't, I thought I was going to. When he came through at 35, I saw him coming from 90, 80, 70, 60 through the timber. He's coming. He's probably above me 50 feet, maybe roughly. And I see him coming through the timber. And my son is only right to my right, 30 yards away or so. And he bugled, and this bull, or, or they're exchanging bugling. And he's bugling and screaming as he's coming right toward my son. Why? He did not like this intruder bull in his bedding area. We were in his domain. He did not like it. And here he comes. I'm watching, watching, watching. So I'm timing and I'm looking. I'm looking at his route. This is part of what we do as hunters. I'm looking at his route going, okay, as soon as he gets to this spot right there, I got to draw. So see, this is part of the hunt. When do you draw? In this case, I could see where he's coming and the path he's taking. I'm going, okay, as soon as he gets there, he's maybe 10 feet above me. He's coming downhill. I'm drawing right when he gets there because there's no way he's going to see my movement. And right as he hit it, whack, that arrow, that bow was back. And I'm sitting there watching as he comes through the little pocket of timber and he comes right out the other end. And I'm thinking, okay, now I'm looking ahead. I'm looking through my peak, but I'm still looking ahead. And all this is happening guy in seconds this isn't like five minutes goes by we're talking you know zero one two three i mean it's all happening this quick and as he comes through i'm thinking i'm gonna take him right there he came into the spot right where i wanted to shoot he stops and bugles there was a depression in the ground i didn't even see it it looked flat to me but when he got there all i could see was like the last six inches of his back but in my mind i said that's where i'm taking him right there when he hit it and he stopped I realized I can't shoot him right there. So I had to readjust my thinking instantaneous. And here was my next line of thought. I saw him stop and he bugled. Paul bugled, he bugled. I'm a still full draw this entire time. And as soon as he comes out, I'm like, okay, I see a log over here, a little bit of one. As soon as he gets over to it, I'm going to nervous grunt and stop him. Well, the log was bigger than I thought. As a matter of fact, I can't even remember if I saw much of it. And as he walked up to the log, I'm getting ready to stop him. He stopped on his own. 
And but in my mind, I'm going to go and just try to stop him right there, you know, a, a louder one than that. But just giving you an idea, and it, it, and it, I froze tons of bulls doing this. As he got to the log, he stopped to look at it before he stepped over it. Twenty five yards. I didn't have to stop him. I mean, it was just everything click, click, click. I can't take him there. I'm gonna look for him right here. As soon as he came through and he stopped right there, I, I let the arrow go, and it, I shoot a 425 grain arrow. Um, it's a it's a VAP a victory VAP V1. I have a 95 grain steel insert. I always I've shot this for years and a hundred grain head. So I have roughly I have 200 grains on the end of my victory arrow, which is a 350 spine arrow, and my total arrow is 425 grains. And at 25 yards, I shoot 65 pounds. I was shooting a – not that it matters. I'm not trying to publicize anything, but I was shooting a Matthews, the 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 what is it, the VXR? I think that's what it is. I bought yep. it last year. Paul and I both did. First bow we bought in many years, but we bought that one, and it whistled through him and was stuck in the dirt on the other side. He never knew it hit him. When I shot him, I grabbed another arrow. I saw it whistle through him. I knew he was dead. But, you know, you never know. So I grabbed another arrow, and he stopped, and he's looking, looking. And I draw him back, and he walks into a little pocket of timber. He had no idea he was even hit. You could tell by his action. Nothing. He walks into the timber, and he's looking over in the direction of my son. He's looking for that bull. He doesn't know what happened. And I'm trying to get an arrow through the other timber, but he turned around and started walking away. And after he walked about 50 yards, I saw his nose touching the ground and he's walking. And I'm like, oh, I've seen that before. He's not going anywhere. I saw him go right around a little corner about 100 yards away and I didn't see him anymore. And he actually was dead within 10 or 15 yards of that. He fell right over, and which I didn't know. I couldn't see it. But, you know, just showing the setup I was using for that elk right there. And, uh, yeah, it just blew right through him at 65 pounds and uh, was a 425-grain arrow, which is one of my favorite weights with some FOC. That actually has 15.5% front of center, which is FOC. Most arrows, if you don't have heavy, they're usually around 11. I don't care if you're shooting a 300-grain arrow or a 600-grain arrow. If you're shooting standard setups, they're usually around 11%, and it'll blow through an elk. Don't get me wrong. But – I've done some testing. And I like that arrow with that setup. I've, I've put three three-quarter inch pieces of plywood up and screwed them together so they're tight. And, you know, what's that, two and a quarter? That's pretty thick. And I can take that arrow at 425 grains and have the tip sticking through all three of them. Now, I've taken that same grain arrow with a standard 17-grain insert, and all I did was add weight to the tube. I equaled both weights to 425 grains, and it barely goes into two of them and sticks. Even though they're identical weights, same arrow, same bow being shot, the one with the with the 100 grain, 95 grain insert will blow through all three. Showing the FOC is giving you more pen. And I mean, I've shot this thing like 50 times into the wood. This isn't like a one-time thing. I d- I've done a lot of, you know, uh, testing like that. And with that same weight arrow, and the bow doesn't know it's casting what arrow. It's still shooting at the same. I shoot like 276 is what. I have a chronograph. It's not it's blistering fast, but it has that extra penetration value even on that. It was a nice size big six-point I killed. It just blew right through him and stuck on the ground. And it's done it on a lot of elk I've killed. But my point is, is that, I like that heavier front end on, on, on that victory arrow. And it's hard to go to just any arrow and put 100 grains on the front. 
and then you know and then then your broadhead and still achieve 425 grains most arrows will be more in the 475 plus because they have more grains per inch to them but that victory that uh, v1 or v3 the vaps they get them in a good spine and I love that arrow. I've shot it close to 10 years. I mean, it's just a killer. And so I still shoot it. I'm not going to switch. <laughs> I really well, like yeah, it. Yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I, I like, I, I keep everything, even, you know, my, because I have an elk setup and my my at-home setup, I call it for deer and pig. And, and everything has got to be in that 15% FOC range. And I love, I love that low 270 to 275, 276 um, in terms of speed, man, that trajectory just lends yeah. itself to, and in my opinion, most scenarios, right? I mean, you can thread works. that needle. Yeah, <laughs> you can thread you that know, needle, I, I, man. I know, and I argue with my son sometimes. I said, man, you need to up your arrow. My son has never shot anything different. He has shot 400 grains for 29 bulls. And how can I tell him he needs to change? You know, I mean, I want him to go a little more, but he just kills and kills and kills. I mean, you just can't argue. And my son-in-law, who's killed close to – I think he's killed close to 25 bulls, and they use the identical setup, both of them. 400-grain arrows, 70-pound draw, and look at between them. I mean that's that's over 50 bulls that they've killed, cl closer to 55, between a 400-grain arrow. And I'm not saying everybody should shoot a 400-grain arrow, but don't ever think it's not enough. I mean, they're elk killing things. These two guys are, and and I'm only 425. You put us together, I mean, we're you know we're 80 something elk. I mean, I mean, it, you don't need 500 grains. I mean, you can have it all you want. I don't care, but you don't need it. it it'll blow. It, you'll put two holes through them, you know, unless you frontal them. And we've killed quite a few frontal, and even with my sons. Uh, when he shoots a frontal and he shot six bulls with a frontal shot and the arrow is in the knock is embedded in, in almost every single bull. As a matter of fact, I think it has been. You don't even see the knock. It's gone. That's how much penetration he gets. And so, you know, it's hard to argue with it. And uh, he shoots a 340 spine in that 27-inch uh, arrow. I shoot a 26 and 5-8-inch arrow. I shoot 27 and a half-inch draw. So I don't have a very long draw. He's a 28, but you know, just kind of throwing some specs out there of what our stuff. Right what, there. uh, well, while we're talking specs and archery equipment, what, uh, what type of heads are you guys using? Not necessarily the brand. Is it, you know, two blade, three blade, single bevel mechanicals. How's that looking? Well, we, I've never shot a mechanical in my life because you can't shoot them in Idaho. And, and so you can't have those. So I've always shot a, uh, uh, fixed heads or cut on contacts paul's killed five with the with longbow recurve he shoots both and so we, the nine bulls we've killed with trad gear we've uh we've killed three of them with two blades and they suck no blood trail at all but we found all the bulls <laughs> but so we use multiple blade heads mm -hmm. we like we like uh, three or four bladed heads and it's the same true with our compounds this bull was shot with a viper trick uh, 100 grain Viper trick, which is absolutely, if I had to pick one head, I could shoot for the rest of my life. That's the head. Now, my son, on the other hand, would choose an Exodus. Paul loves the Exodus three blade head. He's killed a lot of elk with it. We've killed elk with the iron wheel. We've used the iron wheel for a couple years. We shot bulls with that. It's a good head. But for the price, do you really need it? You know, for us, you know, and again, I'm not pushing anything or bashing anything. They all kill. 
But I, Viper Trick, I, I drew an Arizona tag this year. So I'll be hunting bulls in Arizona and Idaho. And I can promise you it will be a 100 grain Viper Trick on the end of my victory VAP arrow. And I could care less if somebody wants to shoot something different. But that is what I will have on the end of my arrow. And my son will have an Exodus. He loves Exodus. It's one of his favorite heads. And uh, that's what he'll shoot. He'll shoot a 100 grain Exodus head on his and he doesn't shoot the same arrow he's shooting a victory but he shoots the r.i.p uh victory uh, arrow and, and why i have no idea he just likes it it's a little bit bigger diameter it's a 204 0.204 mine's a 0.166 it's smaller diameter and but they both do really well and and that's where our confidence lies guy it lines in that it lies in that setup i like the 27 and a half 65 uh, he's shooting the same bow I am. Uh, his setup is 400 grains. That head, mine's 425. Uh, you know, it, it, so that's what I'm trying to say. If a guy wanted to pick a great elk setup, I think 450, anywhere in the four to 450. Uh, as long as everything is spined out well, and you're shooting 60 to 70, you're gonna you're gonna have a killing machine. Everything's up to you. If it doesn't work, it's probably pilot error. It's not the elk was too big. You know, I mean, really, it's just the way it is. But if guys want to shoot heavier, more power to them. I just noticed that I like to have a, a lesser tra a trajectory in case I misjudge four or five yards. So I like a little flatter shooting. And and that's just us, though. And, 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 and you know, because of the results we've had, it's worked out really, really well. And like I said, if it's not broke, we're not going to fix it. We're going to stay right in that realm right there. Now, Paul does shoot a 50-grain insert on his. So he is shooting 150 grains up front. He doesn't shoot the standard 17-grain aluminum insert. So he does have a little bit better FOC. He's probably running 14 on his. Mine's 15 and a half or so. And, and so, you know, all of it is in perspective. Of, of, of playing with things over the years and what seems to penetrate uh, a little bit better. I put my arrow side by side to his shooting through the three inches of, uh, or I'm sorry, but three pieces of three quarter inch plywood and his has never broken the three pieces ever. Right. Right. <laughs> but I can't change his mind. Right. He's no, this, I mean, I have no trouble and he still blows through elk. So I have that more, I like that little better penetration just in case, you know, I hit something with some resistance and that's me. Maybe when I was only 40, I wouldn't have done that, but he, he'll be 43 this year. But you know, I, I probably would have had a similar mindset, but as I got older, it's like, I like this, you know, and I've actually killed elk with 565 grains. I killed three or four bulls with that. And I'll tell you something. I shot 70 pounds in at that time. I never got a pass through, not a single one. And that's when I started doing the testing is why am I not getting a pass through at 565 grains? And I realized, I first of all, I didn't have the FOC. I didn't concentrate on that. And, and number two was I realized that was – more weight than I needed on an arrow for a 70 pound bow at 27 and a half inches. Yeah. yeah. Because a bow only can deliver so much speed. Unless I went to 80, it would have pushed it faster. But in the, in the lower poundage, and now I'm shooting 65. For anybody that wants to question my setup, you take that arrow with that 200 grain total tip head weight, 425, 
and you match it against your arrow. And I'll bet you you can't pay, beat this arrow. This arrow is a killer. Unless you really go off the charts and want to put 250 and you're only 450 grains at 70, you could probably do it. But if a guy builds an arrow, I promise you, at 550 grains and he puts 200 grains up front and he's shooting 70 pounds or less, you will not outpenetrate my arrow. No way. No way. I've done it. You've got too much weight for the speed, for the arrow weight that you're delivering, unless you have a 35-inch draw length. Yeah. <laughs> but most people are in the 28, 29. If you try it, believe me, I've shot as heavy as 750 grains next to my setup. Oh, yeah. I try everything. I've shot thousands of arrows through to testing. And this 425 with 200 grains up front, I, have, I've, I, I did build one arrow that was 600 grains with 300 grains up front that at 25 yards – it penetrated the same as mine. But what do you think their trajectory was like at 40 yards? Garbage. <laughs> and it didn't really do much better than mine. Right. It, it did out-penetrate a little bit through the three pieces further down range. But I'm talking like one inch. I will not give up that one inch. And we were, we're both through three inches or, or three pieces of three-quarter inch. Both of us are through it. But it did have more penetration. But I had to go to 300 grains. But it was like rolling a ball off a table. There's no way I would shoot that thing. And 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 it wasn't enough. But it took that kind of uh, FOC with that heavy of an arrow. So I was casting it from my 65-pound bow. So, I mean, I, I'm probably lucky if I got 225 out of it. It just was nothing. It was a killer. Don't get me wrong. But – if you misjudge any distance, good luck. I'll take that 425, 200 up front. I will kill anything with that. That thing is a monster for, you know, as far as that's what I got it dialed in, playing with so many different arrow weights, head weights, total arrow weight. I mean, everything. And this one just seemed to be absolutely awesome. Yeah. If I added a little bit more, I could probably go to 450 and maybe achieve a little more. But my 276 would go to about 262. It would change dramatically, and I don't need it, so I don't go that route. So I stay away from it. I think once you once you learn that trajectory, and I don't care what bow you're shooting, right? Once yeah. you learn that trajectory, there's that that adds to that confidence, right? I, I'll shoot I'll shoot eighty yards through a window that's one by one, and know confidently that that arrow is going to hit the mark. Um, right you know, and, and, and hit the X. I mean, it, it just, there's something to be said about for me, that speed, but knowing what that equipment's doing and, and at that speed, you, man, the shot is, is almost perfectly flat, right? I mean, it, it, you know, it is arcing, it is archery, but it is almost perfectly flat and you play with that man and you can, you know, we go to the range and we're shooting 120, 130 yards. And it's just impressive how flat that shoots, even at those distances in that speed realm. It's just, uh, yeah, I love that, man. I love it. Yeah, for sure. No, I hear you, man. <laughs> I'm there, but you know, it's, so it's nice to have a setup that's, you know, that you have a lot of a lot of faith in, a lot of trust that it's going to get it done, because to me that that's a huge part of elk hunting. It isn't just calling elk in, but it's being confidence in the gear, in your setup. You know, you, you, uh, even your 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 gear, meaning your pack, your clothes, your boots. It's all a complete package. You don't have to have top of the line everything. You know, I don't. I mean, I just I I shoot what I do not because of what it costs, because it's been working for me. And that's I kind of just fell into it. I didn't go. Well, I'm going to buy those because those are more expensive arrows. It had no, 
there was no decision making with that at all. It was just something I ended up trying one time and I loved it. And you after further testing, it worked great. So everybody shoot what you have confidence in, including your broadhead. Don't worry about what Joe Blow uses. I mean, shoot what, what you shoot straight and really accurate and know that you can kill with it. And stay behind the string, right? Don't, don't, uh, <laughs> don't go out a month before season that to me that's a no-no um you know we hear the two-week thing but that i, I want to know three months before season that i'm dialed and at that point i'm working i'm working you know scenarios in my head and i'm shooting off balance and off angles um you know off long holds at the range uh things of that nature so how, what are you paul what are you doing in the off season to to stay fresh on that archery game what does that look like well I'm one of those guys that I only I, I usually don't even shoot until like late July. Honestly, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and BS you. I usually shoot around late July and then I'll shoot some in August. And because and, and, my bow is pretty much already dialed in, it's just I'm trying to get sharp. And I know most of the elk that I'm going to kill are going to be under 30 yards. And so, you know, most of my stuff is top pin anyway. But no, I, I know, I know what you mean. There's guys that shoot year round. I don't do that. I only did that when I had, when I was shooting traditional because I, I, if I missed a day or two, I was just terrible. And so it required, uh, you know, uh, a, a more disciplined attitude then. But with my setup these days, yeah, uh, I, I don't shoot that much. Um, maybe it's cause I'm older and I just have a lot of confidence already in my setup and I'm just kind of fine tuning, but, uh, I probably don't even shoot 150 arrows in a year. I know guys that do a hundred. I do. I know guys that do 150 in one day. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're just constantly shooting. That's about so if mine. So you ever want to buy a bow from me, you should do it because I don't have a lot of arrows through my bow, <laughs> but yeah. no, but I don't shoot that much. I honestly don't. I, last year I'm going to estimate that I shot 75 times. Oh wow. That's it. I never shot it. I'll shoot three or four arrows here. Then on another day, I'll shoot three or four more. But I'm not a big – my setup's always been the same. And I usually will shoot to 70 and get really lined up, make sure everything is good. But I'm a very, a very disciplined shooter. And, again, I'm not a newer hunter, though. So I'm, I'm, I'm very disciplined that I make sure I never move my left hand when I shoot. So whatever you – your practices are during practicing it's gonna stay that way i don't never fling my right hand out from my face when i shoot i keep my left hand on my bow until i hear the arrow hit the target i do not move and so when i pull my trigger on my release with my right hand i keep it to my face or let it touch my ear i do not let that hand move so by concentrating on my hand both hands and shooting and not flinging it to the right or flinging it way back just freely, I don't do that. And I'm not a back tension shooter. I'm a puncher. <laughs> when it goes on the target, that finger is gone. Oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a monster believer in punching. I am not a target shooter. I'm, a, I'm an elk hunter. I'm a, oh, yeah. And I mean, that's what I do. I hunt. And so when that thing's on target, that finger's gone. There's none of this playing around and waiting for the back tension. I mean, man, you get in so many situations with these elk. It's split-second decisions. You don't have time for all, all this hoopla. I mean, this is an open country shooting here, and I've disciplined myself. My sons has done the same thing. We are punchers. Yep, when that thing falls on that target, it's gone. 
There is no settling in and trying to put a hole through a lifesaver. All I care about is I can hit a, I can hit a pie plate. That's all I care about that. I can hit a saucer, uh, you know, a, a, a teacup type saucer, uh, at 50 or under. I'm not, I don't care about stacking arrows. That doesn't mean nothing to me. And when I get to 60 and 70, I want to hit an eight inch plate. I know guys, I don't care if you like that or not. It doesn't really bother me. <laughs> My point is that's how I shoot. And that's a kill zone on an elk. I know guys want to tighten everything up and do this and that. And that's wonderful if you're capable of that. But I'm not a target shooter. I am an elk hunter. And so when I know I can put everything in there consistently, that's that's my mindset. But I know I'm not going to shoot nothing that far. Everything, my shot, average shot, my sons and I had 65 elk. Our average shot is 23 yards. So, you know, that is what we have come up with the best of our recollection of trying to tally distances on elk so so you know we're not shooting way out there now if i was shooting more open country and i had to shoot 70 and 80 i honestly would probably have to tighten it up and the tightening up is not my setup it's my mindset you know i'm just i'm a puncher and so as soon as it hits it it's gone like i said i don't settle around and dink around because i know how elk hunting can be when your pin hits them a lot of times that's your shot there's none of this Oh, there's, I mean, there's windows we're shooting through. We hunt timber. We're shooting. We're stopping them in these little crevices, these little openings. And I mean, you're you're threading a needle a lot of times. Maybe it's only an eight or ten inch opening, and you think, well, that's pretty big. Not when it's a puncher, and not when it happens fast. It's like you're and you're moving your bow. You're moving your bow, and here he comes. Here he comes. I'm gonna stop him right there. Whack, and it's gone. There's none of this settling in and relaxing and and getting things stopped to bouncing around a little and and making your back. I mean, there's none of that. <laughs> I mean, none of that. And, I, and if it works for you and others, fine. Yep, go but for I it. I think you're losing out on a lot of opportunities out there. And we're not wounded animals. It's not like we're just hitting them and they're running off. No, I mean we're killing these things. And so, but but what we're trained. And so we're trying to hit that bullseye still, you know, when we're moving a lot of my practices, I'll be at 30 and 40 and I know where my target is. I, it'll either be like a matrix target or it'll be, we have a big old buck out there, but I will go from my left. I'll start about 10, 15 yards to my left and I'll move my bow just like I'm on an animal walking. And as soon as I hit that target, it's whack. I let it go. So I practice those things. You see, if you just walk out there and you're shooting at something stationary the entire time and you're just lining up, that's wonderful. But go from right to left, left to right, up and down yes, from the ground. And when you hit it, let it go. And now if you don't practice it and you do it for the first time out in the woods, yeah, it could be probably something that's less desirable than perfect. But when you practice these things. That's part of my practice routine is I'm not just standing out there shooting at a target. I am doing different things with it. And as soon as I get there, it's just like I followed the bull this year. I'm following, following, following. If I had to punch it when I needed to, I would have. But he stopped. But not all of them stop or I try to stop them. But you see, I'm ready. I'm not like, okay, he stopped. Now I have to settle in for three seconds before I, I do something. No, there's none of that. He could turn. Anything can happen. And and there goes my my shot opportunity. Or I feel threatened as it turns. I'm like, I got to get the arrow in him now. You know, and they, that's a bad thing because bad stuff happens when you force something because oh, you think absolutely. it's now or never. Yeah. But, you know, so I don't shoot a lot of arrows. 
I was funny though, because I drew that Arizona tag this year. I've never hunted Arizona in my life, but I told Paul, I said, you know what? I might start shooting June this year. It's <laughs> 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 more arrows down range because it's more open country, you know, in this area I drew, I says, you know, just to be uh, safe and to, to make sure, but I'll, I'll never quit punching. I'm, that's just my favorite way to hunt. I'm never going to change that. And, but I might get a little more dialed in to find close the gap up a little bit. But if I, I'm one of those guys, if I feel uncomfortable and I don't really think I can make the shot, I have no business releasing the arrow. I won't let it go. Yeah. You got to let, so, you got to know when to let down. But that's easy as you get older, you know, and like I said, I'll be 66. You know, you have that mindset. It's not like, like when you were younger and, 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 and I think more freestyle and maybe you made a quicker decision because you didn't care, you know, but now it's, it's more, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm ethical. We all do, but I actually practice it out there. It's not what I'm saying. I'm, all, I'm actually living by those words, making sure I'm killing that animal. You know, at least I do my best to things can happen. But I can't even remember the last one I even wounded. I mean, it's been so long ago. I mean, I usually kill everything that that I released that arrow on. And so, it, it, like I said, you know, it, it, it's, it works. I like being a puncher, and that's just who I am. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, again, right? I mean, going back to, you know, talking about the equipment, if it's, if it's not broke, you don't fix it. You know, for like my scenarios <laughs> here at home, you know, we're, we're out in, in midsummer in, in Central Coast and we're hunting deer and man, our average shot comes at 80 plus yards. So, you know, and, I terrain difference. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we're, you know, the, the necessity to go out and pull arrow and I'm an archery freak, man. Like, you know, if I have a rough day, I come to the backyard, man, and I'm just sending arrows just to, <laughs> just to get the group therapy, you know? So there's a lot of that in it. Yeah, um, that's a good, that's a good phrase. Group therapy. I like that. Oh man. <laughs> I mean, honestly for, you know, and, and for me, there's, there's really nothing there's nothing like, I mean, you're just out and you're just pulling arrows. There's no pressure. And it's just, you know, it, uh, I don't know, man, it, it, it is, it really is a therapy for me. I think the difference is, see, now my therapy is I pull out the bugle and the reed. That's my therapy. Oh yeah. Now if I shot anything like I called, oh my gosh, I'd be shooting thousands of arrows a year. See, but I'm, <laughs> I, oh yeah, but I'm more tuned in to trying to get the cadence right on certain cow sounds. I want to be able to communicate through a sound when I'm anxious or I'm excited or I'm trying to call something over or I've got a bull worked up through cow sounds and I hit a little opening. Crap, I can't. So now I'm going to go to the contact buzz and I know that's what I'm going to do because this is urgently asking him to come over to me. And so those are the things that I work on way more than my shooting. And it's the same with the bull sounds. And this is why. There's no doubt in my mind we kill way more bulls with bull sounds than we ever even dreamed of with the cow sound. I mean, it's not even close. And and it's the bull sounds that get it done through the panting, through the moaning, the groaning, the glunking, the 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 lip ball or the grunt and the or the chuckle, whatever is necessary for that episode, I am in. That is what I'm dialed into. Not can I pull my bow back and what's my poundage and how good am I shooting today? I don't even think of that. That doesn't even come to my head. It's all the sounds to deliver him right in front of my face to be able to kill that elk right there. And so I'm, it's more my sounds. And, 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 and to me, that's what works much more is how well am I shooting? I need to just shoot well enough. That is my mindset, but I'm confident to, you know, 40, 50, I wouldn't even 
bat an eye of sending an arrow down to 40, 50. But I, I mean, the, the longest shot I've ever taken on all the elk I've taken was 50 yards. That's the longest, the absolute furthest. So I know that my shots are going to be that or inside. And so I do get dialed in, you know, or there's no question I can kill them right there. I have no qualm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking a risky shot to where I know I can't make it. You know, I'm taking shots I, I usually know I can make. And if it's a frontal, I know the distance that my limitations are, which is between 25 and 30, depending on his disposition. Does he know I'm there? Does he not? You know, that's disposition. But I will go out to 30 under the right situation, but I prefer under 20. That's my preference. Broadside, you know, like I say, to 50, quartering away to 50. Uh, if he's quartering to me, I have to have him very close. It's not a frontal. It's a quartering to me. I, I, you know, I can't really slide it behind his shoulder. I might catch the edge of a lung and all liver. It'll kill him, but will I find him? You know, that's a, that's a bad thing. I'd rather try to slip it inside his, his, the left shoulder, my left, his right shoulder. I'd try to slip it inside of that, uh, through the brisket area, you know? So again, distance is a huge thing there because I might be looking at a tennis ball shot, not a cantaloupe or something bigger. So all those things come into play, but after you've done it enough years, it's much easier and I'm much more settled in my mind when I'm there, I can make it Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pull down. I can't make that shot. It's too, too high risk. I'm not going to kill it. Oh, I've let down many times. Oh, lots of times. That's so that is a skill, a skill in itself, right? I mean, you, you have to be able to let that bow down and understand that you're in a bad spot for that animal's sake. Yeah. I let down at at a bull and a really nice six point at 10 yards. I, that's the biggest one I've ever let down on at that close of range. I'll never forget it. I called him in myself. I was solo. I had called him in and he came running in. It wasn't supposed to happen like that. He ran in on me fast. I mean, from like 60 yards away, I was waiting for him to break through and come through brush and then draw and wait. But he didn't do that. He didn't read the script. He <laughs> came ever? running in right at me. And I had an arrow knocked, but not drawn. And when he did, he stopped at about 10 yards and he's heaving from running and he's just exasperated heaving uh, we've been going back and forth so you know we were both getting worked up but when he decided to run at me he totally caught me off guard honestly and even if he didn't i don't know if i could have drawn anyway he came in so fast i don't know how if you've ever seen a bull run at 60 yards they covered in the blink of an eye oh, it was nothing he knew exactly where he heard me last and had me pegged but he was looking through me and i'm sitting there completely froze not moving all of a sudden, I could tell he knew – I knew he was going to bolt. And as soon as he turned, I nervous grunted him and drew. And when I did, normally they turn to look at you. That bull stopped when I nervous grunted him and looked right over his back. What shot is that? He looked right <laughs> over his back. He just turned his head. He didn't turn his body. And he looked right over his back. And I could see the Texas hard shot 10 yards away, full draw. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take that shot. I wanted him to turn. Maybe he'll move. Maybe he'll, and all of a sudden his head went the other way, and away he went. That was it. That's a, he walked right out of my life. I never saw him again. But I've ha I had a bull that close. Nothing I could do. I didn't release the arrow. But you know those things. That's just part of elk hunting. What do you do? You know. And and it's things that it it it. I don't know how many elk I've called in. My son and I have called over a thousand in. And and all these elk I've called in, that one is embedded in my head. 
and I never shot him, <laughs> but he, I never forgot that one. There was something about him turning his head like that after I nervous grunted. I'm sure there's hundreds of others I called that I forgot completely about. I don't even remember, but that one there. And, and, and when that happened, my son was 15 years old. So that happened 28 years ago. As I think about it right now, that's the first time I ever put a date on it. 28 years ago, that happened, and it has never left my head because the way he did it, and it's the only bull that's ever done it, that I nervous grunted. He, not another bull has ever done that to me. They turn. They turn their body enough to get the arrow in. I'm not saying they just stand broadside, but they stand quartering away enough that, I mean, they're usually close when this happens, and you can drive that arrow right through them. Hardly ever do I ever get a pass-through on that. It's usually stuck in the off shoulder, but that's fine. It kills them. They don't go anywhere. It's a double lunger. But it's just funny the things you think about sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, and you, you talk about scenarios like that, and, and the best, in my head, the best part of those scenarios is, you know, the takeaway from that, but... I can almost guarantee that as that bull took off and, you know, you're in disbelief, there had to be a laugh or a chuckle in there because it's like, man, he busted me. And and I did that more last a, year. It was more of a, it was more of a cry. <laughs> 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 I don't know if I was laughing at it 28 years ago. I was like, but I was still proud of myself for not letting the air right. go, you know, to a degree. It's not like you think, oh, I'm so proud of that. It's like... It's like after hindsight, you know, oh, like, yeah. you know, that was really a really good decision. I, it really was on my part. Not what could I have done? What kind of work could I? I mean, there was nothing there. I mean, can you imagine? You could probably kill him with a Texas hard shot. I know it. But can you imagine the misery, the, the pain, the suffering he could go through? How far will he go? I know there's major arteries in there. I'm not a dummy. But God, I don't think that's a way to go. I, I mean, I mean, most elk you kill, they're dead within 15 seconds, and there is no way he was going to die in 15 seconds on that. There was just no way. Well, if, and, so, and if you recover him, and that's, you know, yeah, that's... And it's, I mean, yeah, you could be off uh, because maybe you got the jitters and you didn't, you know, 10 ring it, but uh, it's just not worth it. That's why I'm a pie plate shooter more than anything, and I know, and when I say that, I mean, it's just a phrase. I mean, usually when I'm putting it right there, it's just right through their lungs, right through the top of harder lungs. They're dead. I mean, I'm not just wounding them and going through the liver and tracking them for miles. It's not like that. Most elk don't go very far. Shot and, placement, shot placement, shot placement. Oh. Yeah, a good head, confidence in your stuff. Make sure you don't pull your bow arm at the shot. You know, watch the arrow go to the target. Don't move. I mean, and if you think that you can practice any way you want right now, and then that's going to be automatic on the animal, you're wrong. You need to practice your shots right now that you do not move the bow arm and always know where your release hand is when you let go. If you find yourself flinging it, a lot of times that will move your left hand just a hair. And believe me, guys, a quarter of an inch at 40 yards could put that thing 18 inches off. I kid you not. So you, it's, you have to be dialed in and locked in. When you release, everything stays right there until it hits. I mean, you just have to leave everything in sequence. I mean, you just cannot move or you will throw that thing off target. And I called the bull in two years ago for a, a friend of mine. That bull came into 18 yards, a big six point. I, I called this thing and this guy could drill Coke cans at 70 yards. And I brought this bull in. My son was filming him. I was behind. And when he shot at 18 yards, he missed this bull by almost three feet. You see what I mean? Oh, yeah. And that's what happens. These, and I mean, 
you could, it, it was like, I, when I saw the bull come running in, I was only like 30 yards behind him. I, it looked like a Volkswagen. I mean, how do you miss something that big? That's the excitement that happens. You want to see where the arrow hits. It's a huge mistake people make. But, you know, your nerves can get the best of you, but he never practiced that way. I know he didn't. But if you practice that way, you'll get that me- muscle memory and mind memory built. And everything will stay solid through your practice as well as when it's crunch time for the animal. Deer, elk, pig, I don't care what you're hunting. But try to maintain that composure and it will come automatic. You won't even have to think about it. Like, I can't move my arm. I can't move. You You might think about it when you're practicing, but over a period of time, it gets uh, it diminishes. Yeah, you no longer think about it. Yeah, it becomes automatic. And that is really important when you have that bull in front of you if you haven't killed a lot of animals, especially elk. Uh, it, it, it can get the best of you. It's a, uh, especially when they're coming and screaming, man, that's a big imposing SOB. And when that scream is, I'm going to say under 20 yards, you fear, feel it pierce your soul. Oh, um, yep. oh man. Yeah, and, you live for that. Oh <laughs> man. My, uh, my first bull in Wyoming, that sucker come in. I mean, he came in piping hot, just screaming his head off the whole way in from about 175 out. And he was within 22 yards and not a pause or nothing, just screaming, came into 18. And man, there he was. Didn't present a shot at the moment. But when that, when that daggum bugle hit me and sent that, I mean, I don't even, I can't even call it chills. It it mm-hmm. just went straight through me. Oh man. I, when I talk about it, I could, I could feel it just passing through me, man. It's just, <laughs> it is next level, that animal. Oh yeah. It is amazing. Well, heck Paul, I, uh, man, I, I greatly, greatly appreciate the time man. uh, getting some of the insight, picking your brain. Um, thank you greatly. For, for taking the oh, time to pleasure. sit down with me, man. It was uh, it was awesome chatting uh, with you. Yeah, I enjoy it. I really do. So, no, thanks for having me on. I, I really did appreciate it uh, quite a bit. No doubt about it. And, uh, yeah, let why don't we talk about the Elk Nut app real quick and let folks know uh, where they can find that. That's a huge tool to have with you in the woods or sitting oh, in yeah. camp and in that preparatory. Gee, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> but, you know, that's where I practice my sounds. So it helps me get dialed in to what each sound means, uh, you know, what the message, message is that an elk is sending, whether it's a cow or bull, and it's all on the app. And you can listen to the real sounds right there, and mine are right there as well with it, so you can compare them, and then you can record yourself. And I do it all the time, guys. I'm chuckling. I'm grunting. Contact buzzes. I'm listening to the elk. That's how I'm polishing things up. And that's how I'm understanding the sounds. Even though I'm the one that put it together, it's still – you still need that practice. It's like golf again. Do you just go golf a few times and now you got it down and you're great? I mean, you're good? No, man, it's like never ending. Polishing things, practicing, keeping sharp. That's what calling will do. And this app will definitely help you to appreciate a lot of the different tactics, the sequences, when to use them, when not to use them. Uh, again, all the sounds are there so you can practice it. But there's a lot of information in there. One to hunt wallows. If you want a tree stand hunt, hunt mineral licks, hunting the full moon. There's a lot of information. It would take you hours to go through it all. And, 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 and once you download it, you can use it in the field. You don't need Wi-Fi service. And, and actually, that, that you bring it up – what we're doing for this year to add to the app 
is we're going to have a page on there, guy, that is nothing but videos, and you're going to be able to stream them so you don't have to download them. This means you'll be able to watch them all with Wi-Fi, but you won't be taking server space up on your phone so because they're streamed. Now, if there's some of the videos that you really like and you think they're going to help you in your in your hunts this year, you can download those separately. So and it, so that if you are in the woods with no Wi-Fi, you can now watch them. You can watch them at camp or right during an encounter. And what those videos are is I'm going to go over each one of the sounds as well as tactics and explain to you and try to keep them all within five minutes or shorter of each one when you would use that grunt. Even though the written information is there, I, we want to now talk about it on its own separate page to help people, a visual aid of when I use that chuckle, when I use the grunt, when I use the contact buzz, when I use a location bugle, when I use everything and and and, and what that sound represents to the elk. But the point is, is, is we want to put some of those scenarios together how you choose one of those sequences over another so all short clips though so i don't want to put it all together and make it like a dvd so they'll all be short clips but there's going to be a lot of them and so i think this is going to help a lot of people to to cut that learning curve down and have a visual aid instead of just reading this is what it sounds like or what you should do to, to actually talk about it and speak of it and then give the sounds i think it's going to help a lot of people so that's all going to be added to the app this year so you guys look for look for it it's going to be right there and they can download that app from uh, i believe uh google and on the apple store um right i've had mine you'll, forever you'll go to your, yeah you go to your app store if you have an iphone and google play and it's 995 and it's uh it at this time it's something that you don't purchase once a year it's it's on your phone forever and if you happen to get a new phone or a different phone you just let us know and we will send you another free code so you can apply it to your new phone because you won't be able to take it from one phone to another on on your own so we'll just send you a code and you'll be able to upload it on your on your new phone if that's the case i think that only applies though if you go from like a google platform to the ios um, because I've had mine for shoot, I, how long ago did you release that? Um, I've had it since, and I've Three been years. through. Yeah, I've been through a couple phones. So if you've been through a couple phones, the only way it usually works is if you had your stuff uh, on the cloud. If you have everything, you know, uploaded to the cloud, the cloud will automatically tr move everything around for you. But a lot of people don't. We do. I you probably one of those yeah, that do. I do. Yeah. Yeah, if you have it on the cloud, it's automatic. But a lot of people don't do that. And so we've given, I mean, hundreds of them away to, to free codes to, to people that change, you know, phones and stuff uh, or, uh, you know, upgraded or went from an iPhone to an Android or vice versa. So, uh, yeah, if that's the case, just let us know and you'll get a, a, a free app for it, a code for it, and you'll just be able to download it. Awesome. Thank you again, sir. It's been a pleasure. Um, we'll hit stop here and... You guys follow Paul on Instagram, get that Elk Nut app, and uh, good luck hunting this year, Paul. Hey, thank you, and hey, good luck to you and to everybody listening, too. Thank you for listening. Follow Western Contours on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, and sign up at westerncontours.com. Episodes are available on most major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.